This show may contain naughty language and explicit content. You have been warned. Welcome to Facehammer, an Age of Sigmar podcast. Bringing you product reviews, news from the UK tournament scene, as well as some pro hobby tips. So stay tuned and get ready for some hammer to your face. Welcome to Face Hammer episode 40. It is me, Russ the Faceville. I am joined by Les the Bang Martin, Byron Practice Game Ord, and special guest, Tom Red Sauce Maudsley. Hey. I was emphasizing that special there like it was meant to mean something, but it's yeah. just special guest. Can we elaborate yeah. on why he's called Red Sauce? No, just so that... it's because I'm uh, it's because I'm here for a catch up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I got to edit already. I thought I'd get for a show. No, so... no. <laughs> uh, welcome, welcome, Tom. It's good to have you. Um, Thank you. So in this show, we are going to talk about our experience at the uh, Sprocket uh, Painting Masterclass at uh, Element Games that we just attended. Uh, but before we get into that, we're going to talk a little bit about um, our sort of hobby and what we've been up to. And um, at the end, we'll probably talk a little bit of Creature Overlords as Tom, is, uh, as I'm probably going to spoiler it now, has, has picked up an army. So uh, I'd be interested to hear what he's going to do with the book. Um, so we'll do that in at the end. So um, starting off then, Tom, uh, what have you been doing hobby-wise? I think you've just covered it. Um, by, <laughs> Maybe still your fun army. So, um, yeah, I've done a few events over the last couple of years and not really had much chance to play other than that. Um, so I've been using the Nurgle. Just thought for specifically for Blood and Glory to, to do a new army, get some chance to actually do some proper painting and um, just learn a little bit about painting from other people as well with the aim to get some painting points there. So sort of a bit of both. Awesome. Well, you can definitely pick our brains. Um, so you've also going to be doing some gaming this, well, next weekend, is that right? Is next yes, at uh, the Six Nations event. Yeah, and you're back playing for England again. Yeah, um, <laughs> as a, as a stand-in. So as a stand-in. Uh, yeah, yeah so Tony, the... Tony's got an excuse if, uh, if we don't do well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why I flaked out, so he's got an excuse. Uh, okay. <laughs> now I'm on the team. It can't be the first year that England don't do very well. <laughs> yeah. Well, Luke, what's, we've got something to blame already, then. It's fine. Yeah. Exactly. It's like talking the Les effect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's alright. It could be worse. I could be playing Stormcast and then I could mess up. That'd be worse, wouldn't it? As opposed Try. to Silver Enough. Yeah. He's getting, see, he's getting the excuses in now. Wow. And he'll just be going, I told you. I told you. I told you. Yeah. But then it's all Kieran's fault, right? Yeah, blame Kieran for everything. <laughs> well, yeah, Kieran's bringing my army as well. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if he forgets your army and then doesn't do well, then it's like a double whammy. I, I, that's fine. On the way up to Aegon last the other weekend, we realised that I didn't actually have any battle line units in my. I was going to say, forget so, your army. It's a it's a bit of a running yeah. theme the last few weeks. Or just not having a legal army is uh, is a. A good start. Being the first time I played under General's Handbook properly, so yeah, like, oh yeah, need some battle line. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, cool. So um, we might catch up with you after the Six Nations as well. Find out how you got on because you're taking Nurgle to that. Is that right? 
Yeah, so in so looking at something, basically something that I've used before for the most part, um, having not played an awful lot of games, I'd rather take something that I know what it does, uh, even though I'm probably not going to be 100% sure what everything else does. Um, so something that's a little bit resilient. So I'm looking at, well, say looking at, lists are in now, uh, Play Touched <laughs> Warband with all the characters, so Lord of Plagues, Festus, um, Gut Rot, Rotbringer Sorcerer, and the Harbinger, and then 30 Blight Kings. 35 Blight Kings. Wow. Dude. Wow. I love Blight Kings as well. They're so cool. Yeah, they're awesome. Okay, cool. Well, we'll probably catch up with you <clears throat> after the Six Nations if you're available, just to ask you about how you got on with the Nurgle, because it's quite an interesting uh, army. It's not like something that we talk about a lot, so it might be quite a cool thing to cover. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I've had I've used the Blight Kings in four events now with decent success, so I, I, I'd like to think I'd be able to hold my own in that as well. Yeah, yeah cool. Well, well, we might all be uh, asking what went wrong or, or what went right next time, yeah. so um, <laughs> we'll go for as that. As I get shot off by Skyfires every, every round. Pew, pew, pew. Well, hopefully the captain wouldn't put you against Skyfires every game. <laughs> well, no, if, I mean, if you're if you're doing the Skyfires, then someone else gets to smash somebody else, right? So. Yeah, that's it. I'll take that. That's true, yeah. Mm. Okay. Right then. Um, Les, have you been up to any hobby stuff? Obviously, apart from the weekend we just had, which we'll cover. Not really. I've done. Um, I've been toying around with a few uh, different Zinch paint schemes. I was tempted to do a Zinch army for a little while, um, and then sort of like put it on the back burner. Um, and I have been... Um, recently, I've been painting the some primary space means because DW have been nice enough to send us out a forty um, k starting sound there. Yeah, they so. have, and it is awesome. It's amazing. Um, I yeah. might, I might be uh, painting a Lord of Contagion at the weekend. I can neither confirm or deny that. Uh, I will Ooh. be. Mm-hmm. But I, I was going to paint a few more space means, but it turns out I'm now going to Warhammer World for the doubles event at the weekend. So. Yeah, 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 that would come about a this bit uh, randomly. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Basically, uh, spare ticket become available. Um, one of the guys they all go and I think the couple of the war chiefs like Liam and Pano and Rob Noise and Jimbo and Dobby, uh, they're all going up. And Rob had to drop, which meant that one of the doubles guys didn't have a partner and they couldn't get a stand in. And like Liam, well Pano kind of guilt tripped me into it this morning. and was like, "Can you come? The the, the hotel's done. I mean, what else have you got to do this weekend?" And I'm like, well, yeah, I suppose. And so he was like, yeah, well, why don't you come? And I'm like, well, yeah, it's a bit of a weird setup. Like, so you can change your army list every game. That's weird. So I can take, I'm taking all of my Stormcast and all of my Sylvaneth. <laughs> and then I'm going to change it up as I like. So, but, uh, so is this a, is this like, just to clarify that, is it like you do game one with one list and then yeah. you say, right, this is my game two list? Or do you look at your opponents and say they've got and then you want your models? I think that's how you do it. So, I mean, okay. realistically, meta, what am I going to do? I'm going to take a Star Drake with Staunch Defender and Mirror Shield or the five up wound save, you know, depending on what I'm playing. A Relic to a Castellan, two units of Liberators, and then Liam's going to take, between me and Liam, we'll probably put four units of Colonel Fantasy with bows on the table. So who's Pano's partner? I thought Pano was playing with Liam. No, Pano, basically Rob Noise was uh, playing with one of the guys from their Destiny Guild called Daddy. I don't right. know his actual name. So like Pano's going to swap up and go with, with Daddy and I'm going to go with... That just sounds so wrong. <laughs> is that is that their team name, Pano and Daddy? 
Hannah and Hannah Daddy. Is, is, is he going to turn up Daddy with like Destiny? <laughs> Daddy's Destiny. <laughs> Destiny Dad. I don't know. This is so wrong. It's amazing. Like so. Um, can we? Yeah. Can we get pictures, but not of that? What? What of Destiny Daddy? <laughs> Destiny Daddy. I like Mrs. Liam. See if you can see this. Yeah. Um, Group photo. Would that make Pano Destiny's child? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think it would. Amazing. I'm going to text him there. Um, But but yeah, I think there's like a couple of... It's going to be uh, a group of us going up. Should be a laugh. I think like Rufio and and Dan from the Warm TV guys are playing as well. So in the event. So, you know... I don't Maybe know. I'm going to take out. I want to get one of them gold hammers. I don't know why, I think, but I've got this image. I think the Warhammer of... community guys would be a bit of an advantage since they've just got all of the studio armies. So if they can change up your army every game, they could literally just walk upstairs and yeah. just pick everything. I'd like to think <laughs> that a game never gets played because both people are just like doing some sort of weird Mexican standoff with armyless writing. Yeah. yeah. Don't Liam actually in... messaged me today and went like, can you go to Russ's before the weekend and see if he'll lend you his Bloodbane? Because we could do Stormcast and Bloodbane? Or current or so what well, Bloodbane? You know, you, you know, if I was going, I could have just bought him in the car, but, you know. So... Well, there's still okay. tickets available. Just go with Byron. Is there? Yeah, come up with me. You and Byron get like a last minute hotel. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Tempting. Is it five games or six games or what is Five this? games, I think. There's a painting trophy, and then you get the the resin warm hammers. It just means I've done myself out of my gold hammer because like I'm not going to be able to beat Russ because he's my crypt tonight. You won't so, because I I would literally would not care. I'd probably take my high elves. You say that you'd get drunk, and then you sort of like I'd be the anti drunk, and I'd sober you up. You would sober me up because that's what you do. Yeah, the face <laughs> would come out. The face would definitely be on. The show face is always point. out. It's on I've show. never seen it, but he only seems to face me when we play. And I we'll face everyone. Yeah. <laughs> It's just it's just my natural face. That's why it's called the face. <laughs> so I'm not actually doing anything other than just being normal, which to everyone else yeah. makes me looks like I'm doing some sort of weird standards. poker face. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not saying that my no- my normal is not normal. It's just that my normal. So what are you saying? You're not normal. No one's normal. What's, what's normal anyway? Let's not go down yeah. that route. That's so you're going. Show. Yeah, that's a different. That's the the new. Um, philosophy pod no we're not doing that so um you're going up to doubles then awesome yeah so that'll be fun should be it should be a laugh i'm gonna i'm not driving because dobby's gonna drive as well i think so um i can get beard up that'll be that'll be fun yeah that'll be awesome so thinking reds warmer a few beers reds as well yeah oh man (laughs) this is just torturous I'm like, I'm like, I put the knife in. I'm twisting there. You are. This, this is harsh. Yeah, I was just thinking on. of that brisket. Seriously, like, bring Byron. Just you and Byron go. It's not like I've not seen you enough this weekend. We'll go with well, Tom. You and Tom go. To, to be honest, I, I would, even if we don't play, I'd just go. Do you know? What I mean? <laughs> like, just hang out. Yeah, yeah. Now be you cool. said barbecue. <laughs> now you said brisket. <laughs> I could be limp brisket. Is that <laughs> risk? Risk it for a brisket. Yeah. <laughs> Can you? Can we just have you on more often, Tom, so you can come in with just lame jokes every now and again? (laughs) Sorry, I've realised the only thing I've contributed so far upon himself there. No, no, it's fine. Keep it coming. We can can call you Tom the Pun Maudsley when you're on next. It'll be fine. So, you know, be a pundit. We can have a a drinking game on the next episode and be like, every time Tom does a shit pun, you get to drink. We'd never get through the show. And you never drink because they're all awesome. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be a drinking one there, I think. <laughs> yeah, very Right, okay. So that's you doing actually doing quite a bit. Um standard, right? I'm a machine. Yeah. Hobby you were just machine. you were just telling me about toning it down last weekend. No, I'm gonna have a breather. I'm not I'm gonna a breather, anything. I need to tone it down, I need to stop going to so many events. What do you do next weekend? Going doubles? That was what I'm going after. Six Nations, what I'm doing after that. Um, well, now I'm going to... Uh, I'm not dropping from eggs. Thanks, Tom. I love you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was wondering why, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably, probably good that you remind me close to the time as well. So I yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just turn up and you're just like, what? What are you doing here? Like, I'm messaging me like, what's your postcode, Tommy? you like, why? <laughs> like... I just got this... <laughs> yeah. I'm not telling you where I live. Weirdo. <laughs> Why I'm on holiday? Just like, uh, <laughs> damn it! Yeah. That'd be funny. I'm not even in the country. What are you doing? That'd be funny. Not just leave the keys of Drupal Park. Yeah. How long fine. is it till eggs? Then when is it? Is it the end of July? Isn't it? Twenty fifth of July, I think. Okay. Still so tickets. Cool people going. Still tickets, so, right? Yeah. There is, yeah. Yeah. The twenty fifth of July is a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the twenty ninth, isn't it? Don't listen to me, though. <laughs> you could just check rather than guessing random dates. Just it is twenty ninth and thirtieth of July. Yeah, twenty ninth and thirtieth. That's what I thought. And that's a Saturday and a Sunday, not a Monday. Not a Monday and a Tuesday. <laughs> One of them special tournaments. Wow, that's uh, that's mattering. That do uh, we do a tournament in the middle of the week? See what happens. <laughs> I, I think it. last time I checked, there was about thirty tickets available still, or twenty five, or something like that. Yeah, we've got capacity for 100, so... Yeah, there's loads of spaces available. Come along, if you're cool. If you're not, don't bother. Yeah, come because it'll be like Face Hammer, but we'll get to play in it. So yeah. that's the yeah. reason to come. That'd be awesome, actually. I'm, I'm going to try and get my uh, Cadrons done for that, but I need to stop doing 40k models. Um, that's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. No, we are basically the same, right? Yeah, well, well no. Plus, I need to do a corn army so we can we can both start lamenting painting. Yeah, I'm going to be um, doing a lot more hobby now. Inspired Woo-hoo. from the weekend, I've uh, I've I've given up. Wow, I've uh, oh, I'm four days clean. Back. Four days clean. Nah, Tom is that. basically going. Do you want some heroin? He's your, your drug. Do you want, do you want, do you just want, it's free. It's free. Do you want, do you want a bit? Yeah. Just stick it I'd in. even offer. I've even offered to buy you the first hit. I know. Just a tip. Just a tip. You've guaranteed me loot. That's that's as good as giving me giving me a free hit, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll carry you. We'll carry you. So, oh, I'm going to get carried and get loot. Oh, winner. Um. Anyway, they need some strong arms, man. It's fucking. It's, it's electronic. Look, <laughs> actually, carrying my character is not the same as carrying me. Cheeky <laughs> <You> bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so um, without derailing the show too much yeah. um, so um, my hobby wise I'm inspired I'm putting Gene Steeler Colts together because um, I've reconnected with a few people locally uh, and we're going to do some Shadow War Armageddon on Friday unless I'm going up to double so that's not happening um, I don't know yeah. we have to work that out <laughs> um, yeah wow. so that's cool Yeah, I do want to I do want to we just got to talk logistics um yeah, so that's one thing. And then um, I haven't done anything else really. I got my Karajons to progress, but obviously at the weekend I didn't do any hobby because we were at Sprocket. And before that I didn't do any hobby because I was doing wow. other things. So um, wow. there you go. Not well. Um, wow. 
<laughs> no stuff I can't talk about. So um, <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, it's really cool. Um, Byron, you've you've been up to a few hobby bits recently, haven't you? Yeah, kind of accidentally, I guess. Um, I decided that I wanted to go to Warhammer Fest uh, just because I hadn't played for ages. Like I hadn't played for uh, when was Heat One? Long Five time ago. ago, January. 18th of January something like that yeah so like at at least four months um, I hadn't played at all and I like I kind of forgotten that there was a tournament there and then I remembered checked it out and it was 1750 points five games we'll we'll come (laughs) we'll come to when those five games were at some point soon because I had a little shock one of the days Um, but yeah I just suddenly really really want to be able to play in a tournament and it's nice that you can rock up because of list submissions and stuff like that you can just turn up and do your thing now it seems to be people taking a more casual approach to that in general i mean we, we've just spoken about rocking up to an event in like two days time and that is now a thing which i really like um so i did that turned up and i couldn't so I didn't really know what to play. I wanted to play something a bit different. I would have loved to have played my corn, but they just weren't... I didn't decide early enough that I could take them. And because of me scraping faces off everything, mostly, um, they're still... Even though Terry's assembling it for me, I've still got to do like a final pass on things and then scrape faces. And they take about five or ten minutes each, which just, when you have 60 bud letters to do, just ruins your chance of getting something done quickly. So I looked around thought what my options were and didn't feel like playing death um because the points value made things a little bit odd and so i decided to take destruction because i hadn't hadn't played it for ages hadn't played it since warlords so a year i guess and pretty much rocked up with the same list that i took to warlords which was a cunning ruck a stonehorn 15 brutes and a wyvern what i did was drop the wyvern and five of the brutes and added 10 more savages so i ended up taking three units of 10 savage orcs one big block of 40 arrow boys the boss for the cunning ruck a stone horn and 10 brutes in one unit which like i'm aware how odd a choice that was because they basically did nothing (laughs) um through it but yeah i uh decided on a list at the last moment rocked up they were nice enough to let me play and then i played five pretty pretty interesting games just kind of a last moment, which felt really nice. Didn't get much of a chance to look around because on the Sunday, even though things finished early, I popped up and I was really tired after the Saturday because it turns out that there were four games Saturday in order to, it was five games tournament, four games Saturday going on until late in order to allow people to get ample time to walk around on a Sunday, which completely makes sense. It's just given that I decided to turn up last minute, I'd well, I never read the pack normally anyway, so I hadn't read the pack at all. And I was literally packing my army away, having a chat with my opponents from the previous round, and was about to start leaving when someone said, who have you got next? And I was like, I don't know, that's tomorrow. They're like, uh, no, that's in half an hour. <laughs> oh, right, so, okay. Yeah, <clears throat> it, was just, it was a bit of a shock. It was like, I would have been fine had I known about it, but I was just expecting to go back to a sofa, and it was 7 o'clock at night. Or something like that. So I was just like, oh. um, <laughs> <laughs> luckily, I uh, I played against uh, I played against really good opponents. So it was uh, it was okay. But I played against um, Fire Slayers. It was a good mix. Fire Slayers, uh, the new Cinch, the first time combat Cinch, which was horrific. Um, 
kind of a mixed, very shooty dwarf order list. Um, Sylvaneth, and the final one was a mirror match, but my, the list I was facing was better than mine. It had two stone horns and no brutes. Um, the army was really bipolar. Like, I lost, I got three majors, uh, one minor loss and one major loss. The minor loss and the major loss, I felt like I would have needed to do really, really well to stay in the game. That was against Combat Tinch. Um, and you just get screwed up by the reliability of their potential charges with the Fate Dice. They can do too much. Like, even as a very fast-moving destruction army with the Cunning Ruck and the Destruction Move, everything of yours is on rolled dice, whereas the Tinch, like, well, a, a Combat Skyfire moves this far, and then I've got these Fate Dice that I can use. So I can definitely be 24 inches across the table and tagging the corner of your units or or doing anything like that and it was the uh take and hold scenario as well so that was a real struggle and i think they're just probably a very very bad matchup for the army particularly combat siege in that um in that scenario because even if you're immune to battle shock they can outlay so many wounds um and uh i got double turned there as well which is really painful didn't particularly feel like I was in that one. I then got moonstoned and pinned by a tree man. I, I mispositioned myself slightly, but I still think he could have plumped himself right in front of my army and charged in, and it wouldn't have made much of a difference because the ignoring of rend one, uh, like that block, just becomes pretty pathetic. Um, I misplayed the one against Sylvaneth. I think due to I was he had a hurricaneum and some. Colonel Hunters with bows, and I gave him too much respect, whereas I should have just mobbed it over, but yeah. I'm sure he would have been able to hold me up a little bit anyway. Then the other, so I lost those and felt like it, I would really struggle to to win them. Um, but like, they went, all of them went the five rounds to make sure that that my opponents had won, but it, it kind of felt like I was fighting a losing battle. And then the three games I won, I didn't kill one unit of goblins. Uh, one unit of night goblins and killed everything else in the three games I won from all three opponents and didn't drop a point, which was just just felt really strange to be playing. Like I either felt like I was in it and smashing it, or um, was fighting a losing battle and probably didn't stand a chance unless everything went exactly my way. Um, I think that's probably just the nature of destruction to some degree. Like I still had a really good time, but um, yeah, the um, I got a little bit of luck initially in a couple of those games and the army just kind of gains momentum uh, from that and, and rolls through things and smashes it up. Um, yeah. I think also those armies don't have a way to shoot over the table and kill my savage boss, which is a big part of what that list does. So, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, that was it. I mean, I didn't get a chance to walk around too much of Warhammer Fest, but I did go upstairs, look at the golden demon entries. The standard was ridiculous this year especially in fantasy, was mind-blowing. There were things that were getting pins that I think it's safe to say any other year would have been getting first, second, or thirds. It was absolutely crazy. Um, I had a really good chat with two of the army painters who yeah. are painting to a crazy high standard at a crazy speed these days. Like Those guys are just incredible. That was really, really interesting. That met up with a couple of friends, saw some people from podcasts and some people I know from Games Workshop, and oogled a couple of the boards, including the best use of cotton wool I've seen in my life. Um, <laughs> like that, I guess that's a that's a long running joke. Is that but... until the weekend? 
<laughs> Possibly, yes. I guess we'll come to that later. Um, this, yeah, this board was just incredible. You'll have seen it if um, check our Twitter posted it uh, a couple of weekends ago, and it's just this amazing board where there are mountain tops rising through clouds that have been painted that are made of cotton wool, and there's undead against Caradrons, uh, like with all these little stories going on. I think it's on a four by four. You can walk all the way around it. Um, just the standard, outrageously high. Uh, levels of everything you'd expect from those guys really really well thought out and exactly the type of thing that made people want to play with the army you could just see it was pulling like there was a load of amazing golden demons there were cabinets full of heavy metal paint jobs and people were just flocking towards that board because it looked so cool that was but, uh, uh, james karch and his army player team wasn't it? i think all the board painters yeah was, yeah he's, he's top guy as well isn't he so yeah, they really, really know their stuff. And everyone on that floor was super keen to, to talk to people um, and, and just share uh, share the knowledge on what they were doing. And there's a lot to be learned from speaking to people who do your hobby for their job. I think particularly people who are working for really, well, the the well-established company. Like they are the creme de la creme of professionals within our industry. And so there's a lot of insights to be gained from it. Really had a good chat with them. I just... Um, that was me warhammered out. There's one game on the Sunday, so finished that, had a walk around, got a bite to eat, and then just shot off home. Uh, but yeah, that's I guess that's, apart from the sprockety stuff, that's my hobby. I've scraped, I've decided on my paint scheme for my corn, done a, a test unit, I can do another larger test unit, I'm going to do a 20 to see if I can do 20 bud letters at once with consistent quality. I'll note down the paints I use this time, because <laughs> I slipped up last time, like yeah. the, the mixes or whatever, and the processes probably, rather than the paints. And <clears> once I've done that, I'll embark upon a 30 batch, and that'll be a fair bit of the army done, and I'm going to aim to have it done for eggs. Nice. Yeah, that'll be awesome then. So, that's my army done for eggs, and your army done for eggs, right? Uh, yeah, easily. All I've got to do is <laughs> scrape seventy faces, paint uh, fifty blood letters, six blood crushes, three bloodbound characters, ten blood reavers, and a blood thirster. So lots of blood. I, I've, I'm not going to even describe what I've got to do because I, I, I just put myself off. <laughs> so, so is Tom going to get his army done for eggs as well? That's the question. Waiting uh, here. Uh, probably not, if I'm being honest. Oh, um, please be Tom. I give you a lesson. <clears throat> you could See? hate your life as much as we do in the next coming <laughs> weeks. Come on, work on that white man's skill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can uh, <laughs> put some pressure on yourself. It's still in cellophane behind me. It's, uh, so is most of mine. <laughs> to be <so> fair. <laughs> you know what's amazing? Not having to paint an army for eggs. All right. Looking... So I feel like I need to paint an army for eggs. Should I just buy it? <laughs> army? Yeah, buy it for the army. Do you want me to paint yours for you, Tom? Yeah. Hey, hang on. If you're painting anyone's... <laughs> I can't dibs. Oh, what? I just... well, um, you and I are going to have a little chat, aren't we, about some painting. So it might be that you can you can get you can get I, it like, I might nicely get based in three colours. Standard. Yeah, that's... With the goal then to sort of get the the nice to dos done for blood and glory potentially. Yeah, you, well, you could just have well. it pre washes or something like that. That'd yeah, be, maybe. That'd should, be we, yeah. should we write our Actually, have an idea for a display show. board as well? So it's Ooh. like Ooh. that's that is beyond me hobby wise. Like 
well and truly, usually a display board for me would be a fence panel with some dip on it. <laughs> a cork board <laughs> sprayed black with a plaque on it. Who's done that before? <laughs> some black cheating. The black they they even changed the pack so it didn't count the next year. It was well upset. All of us need to do an army. All of us need to do a display board. So we can have some, we can arrange some rendezvous and hobby evenings and we can see if we four, can... Four, four display boards that slot together to make a four, a six by four board? Oh, this is <laughs> too much. This is Steve Foot territory now. <laughs> no, I, I didn't um, ask you to dress up and have a wheelbarrow to transport it in, did I? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Bowl cuts um, all the way around. But, but Tom and the, would be up for that though, yeah? Yeah, yeah definitely. The, fir- the first year that Ben ran Blood and Glory, uh, I've not actually made it to the event yet at all, which is why I'm so determined this year. But the first year I messaged him to say if I brought a display board which was just a black bin lid with a photo of his face on, would I get points? And he said, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it still counts. You yeah. might let you off. You never know. If you got that email, yeah, you'd be fine. I, I think I've ruined it for you. Oh, with your chalkboard. I had no. Even worse than that, I had a blue um, see-through tray, and I um, I ripped a bit of paper out and stuck it to it, and I said the glass plane of Zinch, and I put my Zinch army on it. Didn't count. Wow. Apparently, <laughs> I was like, so... "Well, it is a board, and it's displaying my army." Where's the? This is true. I'm such a hobby. By the definition, it is a display board. Stop yeah. it. Don't be one of them. Don't be, don't one, be one of them. them. Don't be one of them. Don't right. be that. Don't be that guy. What are you going to say, Russ? Were you saying about lists? I said we could probably write our eggs list at the end of the show, Tom. Yeah. And then, Should you do that? That'd be really good. That'd be fun, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Wee! So, um, okay. So, that's all our hobby stuff done. And I think we should probably start talking about the main section of the show, which will be um, the hobby weekend we just had at Sprocket. Yeah. Cool. There you go. So um, we went up to uh, Element Games and joined in on the uh, Masterclass. Um, we had a really good drive up, didn't we, Les? <laughs> yeah, it was. It, the drive up was amazing. Not so much the drive back, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we made the best time ever. I think like this, like a new. We've metted it. We're going to do that shit every year now, every yeah, time. Yeah. We we decided um, to leave it. It was too efficient, weren't you? <laughs> you you'd like you had to take a stop because you're going to arrive too early, which is, I guess, that's the way around you want it. Yeah, and and when that stop is to get a coffee, it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. Well, Although did, like, Les, Les needed me to do that because the conversation was very one sided. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, well, me, I was were like, you just grunting? I was like, uh, it's too early. <laughs> you did look like you were flaking. Like, you know, for me, it's that standard sort of, like, I'm like, I'm a morning person, so I'm up and I'm happy, and like, Russ was just grunting and looking at the window. And, That's like, just me standard. I don't know what you're talking like, about. <laughs> head lolling back like he was going to fall asleep. I'm that bad. I'm uh, like, well, the on. thing is, I'm up at six normally, but um, I need to have coffee, and I hadn't, so, uh, and I'm still not very amicable in the morning. Um, that's just me. There you go. I know my limitations. Not, not as bad as Jimbo. Jimbo's the worst morning person ever. <laughs> <laughs> so you made super good time and arrived slightly more chippy than you had been, coffeeed up. Yeah, it was good. Game. Isn't Element Games nice? It is nice. Yeah. <laughs> so said the owner. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was It was good. I mean, it, I don't, has there been much improvement since last time? I can't remember. Like, since Facehammer. It looks like there's been more stuff done. Yeah, I think you'd have um, a better idea than me. Maybe uh, so. The tables had been done last time. Um, some more stuff's been painted. 
curtains been done the store's been opened out a bit to make it feel more kind of more breezy um the stock's been expanded we have a lot of 40k and fantasy oh yeah um yeah, yeah. more alternates as well we got like several more paint ranges in i think which is kind of convenient for the class we were doing and um yeah we, i think we've changed the front desk and the bar and things like that just to little stuff that hopefully when people walk in just makes them know that they're somewhere nice and safe and family friendly and well presented that is legitimizing our hobby rather than helping people judge it uh for the worse yeah it was good nice it was nice nice to be there hate that word but it was good um so we um we we didn't really know what to expect did we les when we went went up there i mean byron did you have a good idea what what to expect or no i mean i'd so i'd met David, first in terms. I love him. Um, yeah. So, so I'd met him once um, prior to that, and I'd already I'd emailed him before that. I got his number from James from Infinity Minis, uh, who was at the class with us because he's painted a couple of James's miniatures with him and inevitably won awards. Mm. Um, so I got his number and sent him a tentative message like, uh, I've got a gaming sensor, uh, we've changed it, we've got really good lighting and we'd love to bring in some more variety in terms of what we're presenting, would he be interested? And he replied super positive, yes, uh, and said it would have to be in the summer holidays because he's a daddy. Um, so that was months ago now, like four or five ago. And apart from him saying what equipment we'd need and us picking a model and me knowing that we'd be using summer scale 75 paints, I didn't really know any more than that, apart from he like on the phone he seemed very nice, extremely humble, and obviously he's very very competent. So I I just knew that I would enjoy it, but I didn't know exactly what was going to be going on, and we knew there was going to be a presentation in the evening as well, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. So you're very much like where we were with it then, not really knowing what to expect. Yeah, just like um, I'm assembling a metal model for the first time in five years, and. Uh, we're going to do some painting, and that was basically it. I did know that there was going to be a lot of people I liked attending the class as well, which is kind of a, I just knew it'd be a nice environment as a result of that. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, Les, did you have any? What were your feelings going into it? Were you you were a bit wobbly well, first, weren't you? Yeah, I wasn't sure. I, I was a bit sort of. Uh, I wasn't sure whether it was something that I would, um, I would enjoy initially because I I never like being in sort of like these organised sort of big rooms and classes and stuff i've never been a big fan of it um you mean you uh, don't like people telling you what to do <laughs> yeah because i tell that's my job is telling people what to do so i don't like being told what to do. <laughs> um, so um but yeah i was uh i wasn't sure about it i was um I, I was obviously i knew that i would go and i'd get a lot from the class eventually if i sort of like could get past the stigma of not sort of you know getting along because let's face facts i mean david soap is probably the best if not no one of the best if not the best painter in in sort of like britain at the moment if not you know it's definitely probably go further afield than that yeah the world the games you know games workshop sphere of like that type of model he's just is ridiculous um and yeah and I, i was unsure at the start and you know um we've I'd been a bit sort of like work had stressed me out a little bit. And I was saying to Russell, I'm, like, I'm not sure whether it's something that I can like commit to. And then I was like, Do you know what? I think if I go in with, um, you know, an open mind and just sort of like take on board everything there and just, you sort of like, you know, embrace it and just see, 
see what it was about because I've never been on one of these sort of classes before anyway. Um, and I, I honestly think it was the best decision I made this year. Like, you know, generally, I think it's um, I, I went there and it just really opened my eyes. It was I think my tweet that I put out like afterwards, rest was like, it's like I've never felt it's like it was a really humbling experience, uh, but in like a really positive way, if that makes sense. I thought yeah. exactly the same thing. I mean, yeah, it feels just like what an absolute privilege to do a hobby where you can get someone that you could legitimately say like they are one of the best painters on the continent. Yeah. And then you could spend two week, two days, a full weekend uh, in their presence, like seeing their models, seeing them painting from a foot away, uh, yeah. getting one-on-one tuition as they walk around and just having a, a nice time with them. And then a presentation, like you don't, there aren't many hobbies you could say you had where you could like, oh yeah, I'm just going to get Usain Bolt down for a weekend and yeah. he teach me how to run. Like that's awesome. That is so amazing that we get to do that in our hobby. And like, particularly given his history, I mean, we've been, if not aware of him by name, when I got into that hobby, his Nurgle Predator was something that was in one of the first White Dwarfs I bought. Um, they were just talking about the history Golden Demon and he was, he was someone who'd pushed it on a couple of years after I got into the hobby. Um, he got his slave sword a couple of years prior to that. And so you get to see someone who's like, you've, you've seen the work of for years prior to it or follow their blog or whatever. And then you just get to be there in person. Chinese. Was it 1990? 89, 90 was around then. Wasn't yeah. It? I think it was 1990. Yeah. Cause I remember um, seeing that when I was a kid thinking how amazing it was and it was so inspiring. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's quite funny because he mentioned that he thought oh, when he come he had a big break. He said coming back, he thought that he would people wouldn't know who he was and people would have forgotten about the predator. And apparently, it just just followed him around. Yeah, well, so. I think there's the the right gap for a lot of the people who are interested in paint classes and stuff like that, or reading really well written, in depth, high level blogs. Like he's going to attract people who perhaps saw that when they were kids as well. So. Yeah. I think what we do as well is that just in case people are unaware, and if you are unaware of who David Soper is, is that there's a website that we're putting in the notes, which is uh, Sprocket Small World, and it's a blog where he um, sort of like goes through his process on painting his heavy metal paint. So he knows heavy metal is Golden Demon entries, but you will be even if you don't know his name. If you are a hobbyist, you'll know the models. His Gut Ross Spune, his the Dark Aldar um, Scourge Diorama. Um, you know his Nurgle Predator will like you know resonate, and I'm sure people will see will recognize it. Um, like his Mega Boss from this year. Um, but he took gold with the Mega Boss this year, didn't he? In yeah, what's he probably the fiercest competition. competition for uh, uh, Golden Demon because it was the anniversary, wasn't it? So yeah, it was nuts. Um, it's also just better established now, I think. I think as well. I asked him because um, obviously there was a special sword, wasn't there? And I said to him, like, you know, were you disappointed not to have the sword? And he said that he just, he thinks that because of the competition level, it's just almost too unrealistic to set your hopes on that. And he just really wanted the gold and he got that and he was really, really happy with that. So uh, I think that's that's just a really good thing to, you know, for him to have that kind of almost very, he's very humble, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it come across he was extremely humble in and how he how he sort of presented himself and that and he's just actually top bloke awesome yeah yeah definitely but, i mean we're probably going to come across a bit a bit gushy here but it's yeah it's really nice to meet a hero and for them to they say you shouldn't meet your heroes um just at the risk of being disappointed but uh, it's probably coming across like 
it wasn't a disappointing experience it was really insightful and and stuff like that so what what happened in the class then we rocked up we had our five kilogram metal models we built those prior to the class didn't we yeah, yeah. we did we built um, the, it was the abyssal world wasn't it? yeah scale 75 abyssal warlord uh, so it's not the bust it's the full size he's like nine centimeters tall i think or something like that because he's a big yeah. chap um really hefty piece of metal did you did you guys get a bit of enjoyment out of assembling it in an old school way i i wasn't expecting to and did but that, i think that's only because it's been years literally years since i assembled something that was metal i did and didn't at the same time if that makes sense i i i kind of enjoyed the initial sort of process of filing it and then it came to sticking it together and pinning it and i was just like no nah, i'm done with this you know I think for me, my issue with it was that um, my body cast wasn't very good, um, so I had quite a few mould lines in awkward places, and in order for me to clean it up, I almost had to tidy, I had to sort of buff it too much with sandpaper, and I think I lost a lot of the sort of very, very subtle detail of like the, the, like the chipping and the mottling, and yeah. maybe the way we were painting it, it would have been better to leave that rather than buff it out. Yeah, I think I was probably guilty of that as well, just because I was trying to make the shoulder pads as shiny as possible. Because <laughs> I was almost like trying to make it smooth and get rid of all the pitting you get with casting in metal. And then when we... I didn't really understand what the class was going to be about, although like I saw roughly what the outline was. Um, and when we learnt that, the sort of the stippling painting method, yeah. I was like, I should have just left all that texture in because I could have just stippled it in. And it would have been easier. It would have been like it would have given me imperfections to stipple around and highlight and make it look like battered armor. Yeah, so, but I think it was it was quite important. Um, it's almost quite quite strange when you think you're even starting the paint job when you're cleaning the model up. Um, yeah, the first lesson was kind of learned almost before it started. Yeah. Um, so we built ours in the week, didn't we? And um, rocked up and we all got our lights and and you know out and our our hair dryers bizarrely yeah and uh, <laughs> models and paints and all the rest of it and we had quite a limited um selection and then um so david did a bit of an introduction and then he gave us uh he said right uh, paints and pictures <laughs> really interesting um so we had some line drawings of the Abyssal Warlord, and it was just put some paint on, move it around, do some colour composition, you know, just get get an idea of how you're going to approach the model, which I thought was quite quite clever. Yeah, it's something that I'd actually really like to sort of like take into the, my next army project is to to be able to get a printout of like, you know, take a uh, like maybe the GW box art and then sort of like you know turn it into like a black and white photocopy piece of paper and be able to to try and test color schemes without having to you know assemble the model and, and put it in that way i think it just it was really really insightful and it allows you to try stuff that you wouldn't perhaps want to try on the model it also allows you to work out i mean you can do test models or whatever but it, the thing it allowed me to work out was uh and i'm not sure how you guys have described this but it so if you've got this the full spectrum of your model from like one percent to a hundred percent and you break it up into terms of how much of it's going to be mid-tone how much of it's going to be highlight how much of it's going to be final highlight how much of it's going to be shadow and deeper shadow um 
it was really nice like you've got a picture of the model and you can lay down your colors and it might be that these three colors used one for the highlight one for the midtones and one for the shadow they work well if you do uh, the third one in the shadow is only on three percent of the model and then the rest of the shadow is kind of you, you you blend it in and that's on ten percent and then a huge amount of its midtone a tiny bit of its highlight you don't get to test that out on a model fast but on a picture you can just lay those colors down and the the one that i did i think it was on one of the golds and i worked out that i could go from gold uh to brown and then shade it with blue i tried it on one panel it looked dreadful and i put too much of it with a blue and i tried it on another panel and just put the the very end of the spectrum with a blue uh, going in the deep shadows and it looked really nice and it was the same color combination but used differently and i got to test that out in four minutes like yeah. that is not what happens on a model at all and it doesn't ruin the model and you can just test it you can test the same thing in different ratios like 20 places on the same picture uh, and just see which one looks the best so i found it really like it was fascinating i could um i had quite a lot of fun doing it yeah i i really enjoyed the fact it was very like you wouldn't even have to sort of like paint it properly you could just watercolor it on almost like water the paint down and just sort of like just be rough with it and just get it where you wanted it to be and, and just experiment and try stuff completely different and not worry and stress too much because like you said, it's, it's dead time if you're painting an, an army and you want to get stuff done and you're trying stuff and you're like, oh, God, have, have I applied the paint too much? Do I need to, like, re-endicote the entire model or strip it and go back down? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, you can just get stuff done a lot quicker. It's just, again, that was, like, the first sort of, like, I suppose the first learning experience was just that part there, for me at least. I, I definitely felt like straight away I was learning straight off the bat. It seems so obvious as well when you you're like don't do a test model do a test picture <laughs> but it was it's definitely what i'll be doing i think for my quadrons as well like i think i, I it would just help me get the colors down um it's yeah. kind of a nice thing to have isn't it like these yeah. these workings out on on a physical a physical thing on paper yeah it was definitely definitely a, a cool way to start and i think you made a good point because we were sat sort of on the corner, weren't we? And you said that um, it's a really clever way to get people to relax and just get into the yeah. groove of painting. Yeah, in front of a load of random people that you wouldn't normally paint in front of. Because it's like really intimidating when you've got that big metal model that's a big blank yeah. canvas, and it's like, and you can see what David's done on his, and you're just looking at it, going, oh, "I've got to do that, really? That that." it's just amazing like i mean his the model that he was done for the class was it just looked like it looked like a photo it was just it was just so good um and you're like and that's a that's him painting fast as well yeah that's not even him trying that hard which is 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 kind of is sort of a level of his talent but um i think i think what was uh what was cool is it just got it just got the kind of the mood going didn't it and it kind of got everyone it was in very the, casual in the wasn't groove. it yeah yeah um, i could quite like the fact that you know he said when he painted it he forgot that metal models are heavy because he's not used to it and um he said you know just take breaks feel free to walk away and do something else for 10 20 minutes and come back you know it's not like it wasn't that rigid in terms of um you know what we had to do it was uh it was good 
Yeah. I think the uh, one of the things that I found really interesting was like he we, we started off and he was just like right okay undercoat you like you, your models are all undercoated I'd like you to base coat it one complete color and we're all there with like you know wet palettes and like a, a, a fine detail brush and he sort of like let us do it for about sort of thirty minutes and he went right I've seen how everyone's undercoating let me show you how I under like you know how I undercoat a base coat model and and sort of like that was like straight away you're learning again it's like I would never have thought to do that I know you were in a, a bit of a different place Byron because you had a, a class with Tommy Sword didn't you and yeah it's interesting and you get two two pros and they're both like yeah they both got exactly the same method which is like big ass brush like I think I used a it's one of those slightly angled Citadel ones like a base coat one but yeah I kind of you start off stippling on a, a thinned base coat, but you put it all over the model really, really quick, and then you get to do another layer really, really quick, and it doesn't it doesn't pull in recesses as much because you're going like dink, dink, dink rather than wiping it down the model. So it's not like you've got um, like butter going over bread where it'll catch and like in a hole in the bread or whatever, and then it'll pull and be there forever, make, making a mess. You just put in this thin layer that, of course, it looks lumpy when you've stippled it on, but that's exactly how you paint a wall, and they end up smooth. Yeah. Um, but you you just it's very weird you have to break a habit of a lifetime if you're trying to do smooth painting just to not go like up and down little goes or whatever and then you spodge it all over slapdash and it ends up absolutely fine really quick yeah i used yeah. um a size three brush so i had quite a big brush but i didn't bring anything bigger than that um and i was just uh yeah, sort of my one of my old battered windsor and newtons but um yeah i didn't have one of those kind of like rounded or flat-headed brushes, which are quite good for that sort of thing. But it's yeah. definitely how I'll be, um, I'll be base coating. I think you'd be doing an airbrush, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's right. I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, I'm undercoating a model. Why, why aren't I doing all this like first stage highlights and pre-shading with uh, with an airbrush? So, uh, but I think it was for me. It was quite weird because I hadn't painted anything for so long. Um, I, we kind of got thrown in the deep end a little bit and I was I was a little bit like the first sort of areas um we were doing like the blue steel um not that doesn't mean we were all pouting each other doing a zoolander impression I mean we were <laughs> we, we were doing like um, all riding around on scooters like <laughs> eating our uh blowing each other up at the petrol station or something but whilst one played in the background yeah um no um we were to be honest like it was quite um interesting to me um that we started off and it was like okay so you're gonna get get your brush and you're gonna do the first color and you're gonna stipple it uh by doing little tiny dots and it was like uh okay i'm i'm not not sure about it and it was really hard because we hadn't done from the the recess up to the um the final highlight it was really hard for me to understand how much of each color to put on so when you've got like an area it's like well how much of this mix do i put on before i put the next highlight on because i don't know i couldn't really work out in my head how many bands of of highlights there were going to be does that make sense yeah it's absolutely it's one of the things i struggle with the most as a painter i mean like my thing is to paint all of like paint a load of model stages like one through to four out of let's say it's got seven stages and then stages five six and seven i just highlight over the same area because i've not left myself enough space on the model if that makes sense towards the edge or whatever i'm highlighting but i still want it to go up to really bright um and i think that's, that's one of the things that sets the the truly 
brilliant painters apart is that concept of how much of it is highlighted and shaded and mid-toned and various other stuff like they just know their base kit's going to cover 70 percent of the model like this without thinking and that's the yeah. type of thing you kind of hammer into yourself just by doing it at a high level again and again and again i really struggle with that i had to repaint a lot of sections just because i'd done too much or too little or too bright or too dark or anything yeah and i think that was the thing he was sort of saying work up work down work up work down to get to where it needs to be right um but i was for me i i kind of made a mistake because i went i can do i'm going to do multiple panels at the same time and what i should have done is just done one panel all the way to the end to understand it and then do another panel and try and like make it better um but for me like the i i had this thing where i use washes a lot i use glazes a lot and all my paint is smooth blending and i kind of was like well i'm dappling paint and it's looking grainy and i don't like it and i i wanted to smooth it out and i kept i was doing two big blotches and i was filling the paint more and i was making it even smoother and smoother then when i was getting into the final highlights and i started doing glazes by the end of it it looked like i just wet blended it and i was like oh i've kind of over smoothed the technique out um but then what was what would have been really cool is that actually I could have just stippled back over the top of that to get the grain back in, but I just didn't at the time. I was like, well, I've been painting like a long time, and I I've kind of we're running out of time for the session. I like, I don't really have time to go back and do it or or the inclination. Uh, I kind of understand the concept, but um, I hadn't. I started to apply it, and I'd lost my way a little bit. Um, and by the end of it. When when David was coming around and showing us his as like a reference, he had it on like a little hand wooden handle thing, coming around showing us, and he'd go around the whole table. Um, I think when David came to me and he was looking at mine, he was just, oh okay, and I said, yeah, I know, I've kind of gone a little bit off piste um, because I'm an army painter and I don't do a lot of single models, and I'm trying to think how could I do this, and I was I was almost um, almost trying to leap before I just I should maybe just focus on the technique um rather than trying to sort of adapt it mid technique to if I was doing an army and I think what I said to him I said I really struggle when I'm painting a model to remember that especially I even forgot we were doing non-metallic metal so I wasn't even thinking about reflective surfaces and like where it'd be like getting the contrast lines on NMM's really important and I was like, although we had a reference and stuff, but I wasn't really um, following it. I wasn't following his exactly. I was just kind of trying to trying to do it myself. And I found that I even like when I did his chest panel, and really where I should have had like one side darker than the other, I hadn't done that. And he said, "Oh, you can glaze this side down darker and glaze this side up lighter, and then you could then re-stipple and reapply." And I did all the glazes, and it smoothed out all the stippling. And then I didn't do the re-stipple because I I just was like, well, I, I haven't got time really. And I'm, I understand the concept, so I, I'm not going to do that. And the blue steel, I'd, I'd kind of messed up. And I wasn't I wasn't in a position to go back and redo it. And I thought I'd really like to do another area from scratch, but I didn't have time. So I thought, well, I'll just accept what I've done and, and just stop what I'm doing. And then the next day, approach it differently. But um, how did you find it's- it went the first day, Les? Um, I I really took it quite sort of seriously, didn't I? I mean, I think normally, like, we all agree I paint really fast. Um, and I painted the least out of us all for the weekend. Um, yeah. Because I, I really wanted to master the technique. 
um, or at least give it a good good go at mastering the technique. Um, and I I felt that I started really strongly and it started to look really good. Um, well, he then, even said that yeah, to you. Yeah, and he then even, I went, oh, I've got this down. And I danger, said, danger. It wasn't yeah. even it wasn't even you saying that. He said that to you. He said, yeah. you've really got this. I think you're you're in a really good position. It's going really well. And then you kind of went, yeah, relaxed yeah. a bit and went <laughs> a little bit <laughs> too far. Went back into Les' extreme line highlight mode. And... Yeah, I um, I basically, I took it too light, didn't I? There wasn't enough contrast um, on mine. I, I started off really well. I got the, 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 the shade and the mid-tones really there. Yeah, I think you just and over-egged then... the top highlight, didn't you? And then, yeah, I went a little bit too far. so easily done. It's like my typical mistake I make when I'm trying to do any one area of a model to a high level is, like, not graduating to that top highlight gently enough and then doing it too harsh when I get there. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I I just got a little bit carried away with it. I initially, I thought this is sorted. And then, um, you know, looking back on, you know, I think out of the three of us, I think you, you nailed it a lot more, Byron, towards the end. I know you initially saying that it was you know you we all found i'm not in no way shape or form are we implying that this was easy either this was probably the hardest painting i've had to do for a long time um it's very different doing hard painting like you can take you can take like the way that i paint and you can say i'm gonna try and do glazing and deep saturated colors and crisp highlights to the best level i i've done which is what i do like that's the way I paint if I'm trying to paint something nicely. Yeah. And I can take that and try and do it to my best level. But this is like saying like, all right, okay, so that's what you're comfortable with. You're going to push your level. Now you're going to try and push your level with something you are really not comfortable with and is a brand new experience and is also very different. Because, I mean, like, you can't, like, most other techniques are, like, you're still wiping the brush along the model, but yeah. it'll be, like, your, your paint's thinner or thicker or you're using, you're wiping it with one brush and then you're using a second brush to two-brush blend it or or you're doing wet blending, or um, you're putting different mediums in it, or like you're trying to do harsh highlights or whatever, you're still doing the same motion with a brush, you're pushing and pulling it, but you're not dotting it. No. Um, so like this is it's complete, it's just picking you up and putting you in, it's like you still know what a brush is and what paint to use and, and kind of know where things should go, but you're being dropped into almost a different... It was just it, a whole like, new level of brush control. Yeah, because it was literally stabbing the model with your brush, and he's like, we're saying, I, we're saying like the dotting as well. But he's like, he's doing, he's doing like scribbles and cross hatches and little lines and dots and bigger splodges and smaller splodges and more towards the edges. And they're, they're like, you're just taking this one thing, and then you've got someone who's arguably at this technique probably is one of the like he's probably up the, there. It's his technique, isn't it? Basically, yeah, it's it's his, his it's his hallmark. It, so. So he's probably the best person in the world in it. And it's like, yeah, it's just like saying you're watching someone press keys on a piano. like. But there's a big difference between someone at grade one and then like a, a musical savant or something, which is what you've got. So it's, uh, yeah, I found it really tricky uh, initially. And I think it was because the thing that both of you guys have mentioned, which is the, the possibility of putting too much or too little of one layer on when you're, you're following it with others. But... It, it took a little bit of time, and then I got to grips with the fact that I could go backwards and forwards more. And I also thought, I also thought I took a different approach, which was that I was going to work on one panel of a model, and I had one which was one of like the the, the hip panels that was going to be my yeah. fancy one. But I was going to yeah. try and paint other panels as well, 
and I took some close-up pictures of David's and had my phone next to me, uh, like zoomed in on them. I was going to try other sections, and as soon as I thought I'd screwed up and learnt from one section, I'd move on to another one and try it, and then I had all these different bits of the model at different stages. And I tried to do things faster, but using the same techniques, because I knew I wasn't going to get to his level. Um, like I wasn't going to get anywhere near. I wasn't going to be able to touch it. So what I wanted to do was get, like... I think both approaches are completely valid. You could take one patch and do it to the absolute best of your ability and start it again, or because it's a back and forth technique, you didn't have to delete everything completely. If you made a mistake, you could just go in there and, and dot it with a shade where it needed to be if you'd over-highlighted. Um, but they're both valid, but my approach was to try and get in as much of trying to use this technique in various ways um, as humanly possible. So I think my my model probably had more of it done than any other one in the class and there were a lot of unfinished panels but i was just trying to cram in as much possibility of getting the concept of where to put things and how to do them um and i, I kind of had a breakthrough point where i realized that actually the thing that i was doing the most wrong and was making my stuff screw up the most was how diluted my paint was and how much of it was on my brush right. so i had i had one little step uh, like one stage and I accidentally got the right proportion on my brush and it just seemed that the brush lasted for forever while I was doing these little dots and scratches and things like that like it, the paint went for longer and it didn't dry up on the tip of it and I didn't make as many mistakes and the stuff was was good so I had like the right dilution the right mix of colors and I had less paint on my brush like it wasn't spooging it everywhere and making mistakes which is what I'd done a couple of times I went to David, had a chat with him, and then when he came around, um, had another chat. And that, at that point, I think that was the moment when I got it a bit more. But then we changed colour, and I went back to stage one again. <laughs> yeah. It was... Because that's something that I didn't really take into account, is that you, you feel like, right, okay, we're going to be practising this technique. So we, we start with the metal, the grey, um, the, the bluey-grey, and you go, right, this is fine. And then the next day, we started on the gold. And I'm like, well, this is completely the same technique. It's just a different choice of colours. And it completely changed everything. Yeah, just like mind-blown back to, not back to stage one, but like you, you've got the knowledge, but it still feels like a completely new beginning. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it was it was quite interesting. So day one, we basically just did that blue steel, didn't we? So yeah. rather than before we go into day two, maybe we should just talk about the seminar, um, and then we will take a break. And then when we come back, we can talk about day two. Then we can go into the credron list. So um, yeah. yeah, in terms of like in the evening, like we we obviously, I mean, we had a great day, and then you know we were pushing ourselves. We were spending a lot of time really trying to get our our sort of you know you're really outside of our comfort zone and there was a lot yeah. of people in the class and i i felt a little bit by the end of day one before the seminar i felt i felt a little bit disappointed in my own in myself but with the with the want to 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 do better um yeah. i think i was just getting in the painting groove about maybe one and a half hours to, towards the end of the session um you were um, exhausted at that point. Yeah, you come so hard. Like tired. You, you really kept. It's like being at school, but you care more than you ever cared in school. Yeah. about like, like you've chosen to be here. You've paid to be here. There's your hero standing a few feet from you, and you really want to make this work. And I like, I just got to a point where I, I realized I was slowing my speech, and I was just like, blah, blah. Um, you know, I, I knew the up. moment when I was out, Stop and I. 
Yeah, and I was like, I've, I'm not. I could kill. I could sit down and try and recover this, but actually, I, I it got to the point where I just needed to stop. Um, and I think I felt a little bit like um, the underachieving child, and 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 <laughs> it's like almost like I haven't quite, I haven't quite sort of got there and when walking around at other people's and and this is kind of a theme for the weekend it was quite funny because you're looking at everyone else's going oh everyone's is so much better than mine and then am i the worst am i the worst and then but everyone's thinking exactly the same thing <laughs> so everyone's yeah. got the same thing going on where they're going oh i really like yeah well that, well, that guy's one and must about better than my one but the guy with that model was going yeah, that guy's one's really nice. It's much better than mine. So it's just you're it just was... seeing all your mistakes you've made for the last yeah hours. It was really yeah, funny because was... I, I mean, I was feeling really bit down actually about mine. And um, this uh, one of the guys from around the other side of the table walking around, and he said, oh, "Oh, that's really nice. I really like how smooth that is." And I was like, "Yeah, I know, but it's not what I should have been doing." <laughs> but um, but that was quite nice, and and you know David was very encouraging anyway, so it wasn't like he. You was completely missed off. him saying some really nice things about yours. I told you when he left, I said, well, "It's good that he said that, isn't it?" And you're like, "Did he?" I think He's... I was just kind of like I was a little you were bit frazzled, weren't you? Yeah. At that point? yeah. But I think, like you said, everyone was a bit sort of like you know a bit was really complimentary of everyone's work. I mean, I can remember talking to um, is it James from Infamy? Yeah. Is that yeah, his? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was saying like, um, I was like, oh yeah, no, mine's just not very good. And he walked over and he's like, you're a dick. He just walked off. I, was... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he was, uh, he was, he was quite a lot of fun as well. To be honest, our yeah. end of the table was pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely the, gig, the giggle corner, weren't we? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think we were at one point. We knew it was broken because Byron started making noises. <laughs> and, uh, we're like, we're like Byron. <laughs> we're not on Skype anymore. Um, so it was good, and then um, we we thought we'd have a little break before we got into the uh, the seminar, which was uh, nice and relaxing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tippy tips. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That was that was bad having a big stodgy meal, and then and then having a a, a seminar, which was quite frankly awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I I I genuinely think like it was three and a bit hours long. Um, the title was like his top 10 tips, tricks, or techniques yeah. Or, yeah. or products, I think. Um, he spoke for three and a bit hours. I was exhausted. I hadn't been up at five in the morning either, um, like you guys had. But I like, I was just like, that was kind of the point at which it sunk in for me. What I said earlier about it being an absolute fucking privilege to be able to have a consumer professional for Slayer Sword winning dude come and teach you about stuff. I was just sat in that class thinking like, I would quite happily spend so many of my weekends just listening to someone who knows, knows their shit this well, talk about it at this level. I mean, it was just just, like, if he put that out on a DVD or like you'd buy it, wouldn't you? Straight away. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I go to, I go to a concert hall and watch someone give a presentation that good. Like it was amazing. And it just kind of consolidated a load of stuff in my head and brought it together, and then there are a few moments where you're just like, oh my god, you go that far? Like, I'm never touching that, but I'm really glad that I know that Yeah, that is the level that you approach you 
your stuff. Do you know what was really, really good for me? It was like, it's like, oh, it's 10 tips. I was like, how's that going to be that long? I mean, how is he going to... And it was like, got to like, I think we got like an hour in. It was like 0.4. And I was like, oh, man, well, yeah. this is... Gonna... <laughs> but it was it was all good. And, and like, I think for me, it was amazing that you, you sort of go, you sort of like, okay, he's going to talk about doing a label. And you're like, well, that, you know, it's just a label, isn't it? And then it was like all the detail of well i do this thing and I, I i do this and this and i print it out and i do like four different ones and i use this type of printer and then i i use like this varnish mix and then i put it onto plaster card and i cut it out and i sand it then i put it on then i do painting over the top of it and it's like going that's the label that goes yes. on the base and you just go and you can kind of understand and he he talked a lot about like subliminal things that he goes to extreme lengths to do stuff that you probably won't ever notice looking at the model. But you will consciously, feel it right. but subconsciously yeah. you would notice. And it was it was mind blowing and you yeah. can immediately see why and he, he talked about his pieces basically. He went he had when he used talked about a thing, he was going how he applied it in one of his pieces and then he would go through a lot of detail and talk from experience, obviously. Um and in a very informative, comprehensive, comprehensive way. But he got his point across really well. It wasn't, he wasn't, it sounds like three hours for 10. That's waffly, surely. No, it wasn't waffly. Uh, yes. It was literally like, I think almost like, do you know when you watch like this, this visual amazing thing for three hours, like almost like the first time you watched Lord of the Rings and you just sat there kind of going, oh my God. It was a bit yeah. like that. Um where you you just kind of and there was moments where I was just like I had moments where I was just like oh my god I can't believe this is actually what he does are, are you serious? Um, yeah. and, um, I initially bought I got like a little notepad I'll just take a couple of notes I wrote thirteen pages of notes yeah it was just crazy yeah it was was mind blowing and also I think it was unique that he was explaining stuff which is at the absolute top tier and I understood everything. That doesn't mean I could do it <laughs> at all by any means or could even bring myself to, to take a, an approach that fastidious. But, um, yeah, he, he, he got it all across really well and it was just um, it was just fascinating. I mean, maybe it would be interesting for each of us to say, like, one thing we took from that that we're going to apply to ourselves and then one thing we noted is just being, like, an indication of his god levels of obsessiveness or competency or or whatever because i'm sure for each of us there's going to be a very different thing or perhaps they're all the same that we took and thought like all right i'm going to think about that yeah i right. go first les do you want to push? yeah well i mean well for me i think there was something that he mentioned early on in the class and i i never really considered it and i think russ is going to kick me because he he'd probably say the same thing Damn but, it, i know what you're going to say as well yeah um, so it's we've all painted to a high standard, and every single one of us um, have a consistent highlight throughout our entire models. So in my Stormcasts, the the highlight is Pallid Witch Flesh on everything. Pallid Witch Flesh is in every highlight apart from the metal, um, and that is how I've, I've painted it. And he mentioned how that has adds like a cons- consistency to the model. But what I never considered ever was basing the model using the shade to do the same thing so having a 
if I would say, for instance, my Stormcasts, I would base coat the entire model, say, Dryad Bark, like we did for the, the Abyssal Warlord. And then Dryad Bark is in every single shade. So not only is the, the highlight consistent, the shade is also consistent. So then it, it sort of like harmonizes the model and makes it look, just makes it look right. And it's something that I've never considered before. Um, and it's something that I'm definitely going to be trying on my next army to, to have. So it makes you shut also makes your shadows more interesting because you're adding you're not just like oh this is going to get blacker um, yeah and this is coming from someone who loves to add white to make it brighter and loves to and just take one really good color and then add to it or or take yeah. away from it or whatever but um yeah it's an amazing one it's one of the things that i think makes my high elves look the best because everything goes up to bleach sorry to skeleton bone from iron painter and then it goes down to turquoise mix um and if you layer that enough um, you don't need to make stuff black. It just gets really, really deep. So yeah. um, it uh, it works really well. He also spoke about particular colours that he likes, which I thought were like, and there are some, like not all colours are created equal. There are some that are fantastic and it's really good to be able to note down the colours that he thinks are standout ones that, that everyone should use. Yeah. I thought it was quite interesting as well when he talked about that unifying shade and highlight. He talked about using cold and warm so cold colours for the shade but and like warm for the highlight or warm for the shade and cold for the highlight. So he's yeah. mixing tone in so it's almost like it goes from hot to cold or cold to hot mm-hmm. um through through the, the the process on the model depending on what he's doing with the composition, which I thought was really interesting. Um it reminds me a lot of what one of my art teachers used to say when I was at school and that was that there's that they didn't let anyone have black or white paint. So if you ask yeah. for white or black paint, they were like, "Why do you want white or black paint?" You know, is a is a beige and a deep blue, like yeah. rock on, yeah. yeah. Um, which I thought was quite, uh, it's kind of quite interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, like that is one of the things that I was going to mention, but I thought you probably would. So, yes. um, well, what was the thing? What was the other thing I wanted to ask, Byron? The like the thing that was blew your mind? Like the, the, like the oh my gosh, like tongue like rolls out of your mouth and rolls across the desk like you go that far or you're that competent or whatever what was your oh my gosh i think for me um i, I think and i know this is like someone who, who, who really sort of struggles every time i pick up a paintbrush with like color theory and how certain colors interact to us that he just seems to have um not only an astounding sort of understanding of every color and how it would interplay, but just, just sort of like his, how neat he is. And, you know, when he went into the detail on how he did his, his scourges for like probably one of my favorite sort of like golden demon pieces and, you know, how he, you know, the, the level that he goes to where it's like, why, I, I designed the tattoo piece and then I actually designed it on a computer and then I had it up in front of me and then I then stippled the wings, but then I also stippled the tattoo and the tattoo looks like it is an actual line, like line painted thing, but he's actually stippled each individual line to make it look like it's in sort of like almost been sort of injected into the skin and he shaded it top to bottom and it's just so crisp and i'm just like how can somebody have that much brush control and also be inventive to do that sort of stuff i mean you know i just was you know it's beyond me i don't think i'd ever get to sort of like you know a tiniest amount of where he is um just because of like a sort of like how he gets inspired to paint stuff and then how he actually applies the paint and stuff i mean like you know 
we're all good painters, you know. I don't think I'm being a dick by saying that, but not a single one of us are close to that. Nowhere near. Well, you've taken my point there, Les. Um, I was just, I found that absolutely outstanding. Like, it was just and astounding. Like, James and I stood up at the end because we, we made a little, like, raise eyebrow to each other in the middle of the thing. We were like, doing this here, that? Is he, is he really stippling tattoos? He's using a technique, like, essentially pointillism, to, which is, by definition, not a smooth line drawing technique. It's made for shading and, and, and suggesting and, and doing non-uniform stuff. And then he's doing a crisp, like crescent crosshatch tattoo design on a tiny, tiny scale with a really dark paint on a really light background where you, mistakes can be very difficult to cover up. Went up and just like, just to check, David, is, is that really? And he was like, yep. So, uh, yeah, I did like that was that was the most mind blowing thing for me in terms of like his, his actual like uh, dexterous skill because there are a lot of impressive things in terms of his approach and whatever, but the, the one thing that made me think, like, God, my, like, your brush control is nuts. Uh, it was that one for me as well. So what about your, um, the other one, the thing that you took away the, that you'd like apply? Me? Well, it's really hard to pin it down to one, but I think I'd probably just say, like, the even though he does it at an absolutely nuts level, it was, it was that that consideration he puts into things the the planning and thought towards realism or basing or taking inspiration from places and just um it sounds like it's a bit of a, a woolly thing to say but just the consideration of all aspects of what's going on like because i think that's something you can take and you could look at an army and say like all their cloaks need to be playing in the same direction. And just having that thought would mean the entire army looked loads better and you wouldn't know why until someone told you, perhaps. So, like, that type, like, all of them should be based with different types of sand. So it's not uniform sand because actually that looks a bit odd. Um, I don't know, like, the, uh, the, 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 the depressions in the bases that have come naturally from using basing materials or whatever, maybe they should have a glass varnish in to make them look like puddles. Just... That like that overall holistic, I guess you'd say like realistic or like cinematic approach to looking at something, thinking yeah. like, how do I push this a bit? And he's doing it with stuff that is, for the most part, incredibly time-consuming and and like um, and obsessive. But you could just take five minutes before or after doing your army and be like, no, actually, I can. All these can have this type of tuft or they can all do that, or I can go into every shadow and I can glaze this wash into it, and I can do that across the entire army and it'll make stuff look awesome. Um, just, yeah, his, his kind of, his considered approach. And um, I also liked how how he's just like, we were talking about theory and stuff like that, and even though he really went into it, he said sometimes you just got to put stuff on a model and you won't know if it works or not until you've done it. So he's doing all these test sheets and whatever, but still he's a great believer in like the, the traditional analog method of like, I'm going to make these colors work. So I think they should. And he said more often than not, he's, he's able to make stuff work. And obviously he manages pretty well. Yeah. That's awesome. What about you, Russ? Well, for me, I'll, I'll sort of talk about my, um, my, Oh my God moments. Um, so I've seen a lot of his work, like, you know, pictures, I've looked at his blog, and um, there is some stuff that you just don't appreciate um, that he's gone to, and I'm going to talk about texture and yeah. stuff that he's added. Now, one of the things that 
he kind of almost mentioned in like as a kind of in passing in a way is he's got a plague bearer with a banner and it's got candles on it and it's got little flames on the candles and you just think oh oh, it's part of the model right because they they're just they're just he's just painted them no no he's made the flames out of cotton wool and varnish and they're minuscule um and the he's done it to the level where he wants it to look like flame and he's 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 poking it and he's trying to get it to set in the right position and then you think okay so he's done that on all the candles and that, that's pretty impressive right because that must have took quite a long time and then he he talks about gut rot spoon and the base on gut rot spoon is just phenomenal with the amount yeah. of work that's gone into that and even the model itself but actually the base for me like even the way he made the boat from scratch the way he's done the seaweed on the rope the way he's done the waves and he's talked about burning blister pack plastic and then using microbeads and using water effects and green stuff and you're just like okay so so the thing that you look at the the, the model sat on that you don't really look that hard at because you look at the model is it's probably got more work in it than anything I've ever done in terms of painting. And you're just like, okay, I can understand why that's won the sword. I mean, you know anyway, because it looks awesome, but then it was all the detail of like how he's used like the, the different slimy effects, the beads, yeah. all of that. And you're like, all that extra texture and, and effects and that he's added on top of the paint job and some of it after he's painted it and so you're thinking well, you've done that paint job and you're doing stuff like putting Yoohoo glue on it and you're like he's using completely irreversible yeah. rust texture techniques on beautifully blended yeah it, it, it's worrying isn't it and you're like <laughs> what, what a set of gajonas to do that yeah that's like you know yeah. um, so that iron like to do it yeah. right for me, it was just that was just like, wow, you know, just crazy good. Um, and again, in terms of stuff that I would probably take away, I mean, I do a lot of. I like to think my color theory is quite good anyway. I mean, it, I you always learn stuff, but um, I think what you mentioned already, Les, is definitely something I will try out. Um, it's very easy to apply that kind of to an army. It's quite an easy thing to do. Uh, in terms of once you've got it in your head and you pick the right colours and you go, right, okay, so I'm going to take that approach, it's, it, it's just there. Um, for me, like, I mean, that's really... There is lots of stuff you mentioned that, that's very useful. I think any of those can be applied. Um, I think adding texture to a model is quite an interesting thing to try out, so I might try some of that, but not to the level that he's done on Gut Rod Spoon. But I think most of these things, like, he, he's... He's obviously pushed himself quite a lot every time yeah. he's done a piece. And one of the things I found quite interesting is when he does a model, he's almost trying out a new technique where he's trying to push himself in a different way or he wants to make some thing the focus of that piece. Uh, and that was really interesting. Um, but it's like, it's, it's literally, it's that kind of dedication to that one model, which I found yeah. just crazy. It's like, you, you, that is, you are going to spend a lot of time with that model. Um, I think he said six months didn't need to do the Nurgle Predator. Yeah, I think so. BC wasn't constant, yeah. but it's it's still Mega Boss was at least nine, I think. Yeah, and, and you, Gut Rot was it 
on off for a year, maybe. And you think about it, like, how do you pick the model? Do you know? Like, I don't know how much time he spends actually deciding what he's going to do, but that's that's another that's an important decision. That's another <laughs> thing, right? If you're going to sit with a model for nine months, and I think as well, like, it's quite a testament to like James, some of James's models from Infamy that he selected some of those models as a model he's going to spend that amount of time with. Um, yeah, I just it was brilliant. I think the seminar was just it was just completely well above what I expected it to be. Um, Absolutely, knocked um, out in the park. It was it was really good. Um, yeah, awesome. And we are we are going to be gushing for the rest of the show. I do apologise, but that's it was just it was really good. I honestly, it was it was well worth it just for the seminar alone really um it's kind of quality entertainment never mind the fact that you also got practical advice like i i it's like watching i got that feeling you get when you watch a really good documentary and you're just like oh like yeah just so just completely incredibly informative on a level that you find fundamentally like really of interest to you as a person as well yeah, it was awesome. So let's have a break. Uh, we'll come back and then we will uh, talk about day two and, and the overall. We've always talked, touched on a lot of it already, overall. And then um, we'll probably go into some gradualness with Tom. All right, see you in a bit. Cool. Take off. Face Hammer is sponsored by Element Games. So for great customer service... All the latest Age of Sigmar releases at 20% off, and all your hobby needs, go to www.elementgames.co.uk. To support us directly, click through the banner on our website and let them know that you came from us. And we're back from the break. So um, we thought we'd uh, just touch on, on day two um, and the gold that we had to do so yeah tricky (laughs) very i actually for me um i thought about it overnight a little bit i was thinking i need to um try and apply the technique uh and be a little bit more true to what we were being taught um and I made a decision that actually what what I would do is um just do one panel yeah and um go from that to be like okay I've got one panel um one area and I'm just going to try and get it right um and that was how I approached the gold um for me the the gold really clicked um, yeah. I think your gold really nice, something to be fair. It was just that I, I don't know what it was, but it, it just for me it was like okay, um, I I I had I did the knee pad basically, um, and I was going okay, let's go, uh, let's try and follow the color scheme, and and I think we were we were using like a mix as well. And it was, yeah. I think it was quite easy to not have enough yellow in the mid-tone um, and to overdo the, the higher level sort of creamy white colour. And I think what that meant was that some people's looked very, what we call desaturated in colour. 
um and i i even had the same issue and and i had to go back down and and reapply levels of the color to try and get the yellow back in um and i was very conscious i didn't want to glaze it and undo the stippling um i wanted to keep try and keep that texture um and also because i was only concentrating on the knee pad and and I was really trying to make sure I got the highlights in the right place. So I was I was spending a little more time and attention looking at, at David's one and saying, Okay, so you haven't you have you've not done the typical non metallic thing. Because on the top of the knee pad's like a frill and there's like a line down the middle and I thought normally you do like that checkered alternate, don't you? But he didn't yeah. do that on that because he said it's so it's so it's like an overhang, the top of the knee pad. He said it's so in shadow that's probably the darkest part on the entire model. And I thought that was quite interesting, um, but yeah, I was really pleased with how mine came out. And he he said he really liked the on the darker side of the bottom fringe on mine. He said that's a really nice transition that I got there. And he said I need to lighten up the other side, which I did. And I can looking at the image if you look at my Twitter account, you can see it. But I've done, I you can see the mottled like texture. Uh, I was really happy with how that turned out, and I said that I, it's, it's obviously not not the level that his is because his is immense. But it it kind of gave me a lot more kind of um, enthusiasm and confidence about what I was doing. Yeah, um, I think it, you did, after like the first day you, when you said like I'm going to really try and focus. I think it was really good that you you managed to sort of like get the technique quite early, and you know because. It was, I think, like you said, you were you were almost not disappointed with yourself, were you? But you were just like, oh, I wish I'd, you, you'd done a bit more following the technique at the end of day one. And for you to go in day two and be really strong on that, I think it was really good. Yeah, and I, I think for me it was the, um, it was kind of the effort of uh, just, just actually trying to apply it and be like, right, okay, let's get this right. Um and I, I just, I don't know. It just, it was, it was kind of. I went up and down a lot, and I did a lot of adjustments, and I did a lot of, oh, let's consider this, let's have another go at it. Um, yeah, and I was ended up quite happy with how that turned out. So, yeah, it was good. So, how did you guys find the gold? I found it traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably considering I've done a lot of non-metallic golds. Like you know, I, I I'm generally you know quite good at non-metallic golds. You know, I'm not you know I'm not Darren Latham standard by any stretch of the imagination. But it's I, I find non-metallic golds quite easy to do. But I, I really struggled with uh, with this one. It just didn't look right. I I didn't get the saturation right on the yellow. At the, start um i then sort of like i applied it in a way that wasn't you know it didn't look it was too subtle i think like i showed byron and he was like it's too subtle you can't really see where the transition was um and it was just it was almost too dark going too too light um and then i really really struggled with it like to and fro for a couple hours uh, um i asked david's advice a couple of times because it was getting it was starting to frustrate me um and then sort of like towards the end it, it kind of got there um, i think it was when i added the ivory and, and managed to do like the the point of light um sort of like in the the top corner of the the knee that it, it kind of really sort of like settled in for me um but in, in general I, I did find it very difficult 
you know, it's it's something that, it, I, 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 again, going into it, if someone said to me, you're going to do some non-metallic metallic gold layers, um, and, you know, you're going to be shown how to do it to a, a standard that is, you know, beyond you, I, I would have been like, brilliant, you know, at least I've got a grasp on how to apply that technique. Um, but, yeah, it, it was just uh, just the placement. I was a bit lost. I just found it really difficult. I don't know if Byron found it, but because I, I, you've done a lot of non-metallics as well, haven't you, Byron, over the years? I have, <clears throat> I have yeah, but I, I definitely found it tricky. I found I found the, the last stages of it hard, I think. So I got luck rather than judgment. I think I put down my my, my first colour was uh, a good one to start on, and a few people had gone too dark or too light or whatever. I think mine was a good point in the middle. Um, I was doing the knee pad as well. And I tried to do a couple of the like the little trim bits on his whatever you call the bits of armor on his hips, um, and they were just too small for me to be able to do with stippling. It, it didn't work, um, yeah. so I concentrated on the knee and and tried with that. And I, I tried to put on. So David had a couple of little imperfections and details on his that were painted rather than actually present. Uh, I didn't try and copy his, but I had some kind of natural patterns going on from the stippling. Um, tried to put kind of a like a crack in with a darker colour myself and just completely derped it like big spoogy idiotic mistake um, and I then had to go in and fix that and I fixed it by taking the so if you've got like if you've got a band of colour and it's twice as thick as it should be I did the highlight of the lower lip of the cut which we're imagining as I did that in the lower half of that band, if that makes sense, where I was, I was twice as thick as I needed to be. I shrunk that upwards by placing the highlight rather than underneath it, which you'd normally do. I placed it in it and managed to squeeze the size of my mistake until it looked like a more, well, just like a, a less clumsy cut. Um, I did that. I think I got the colours better and the mix is better on this one, but I found the placement tricky. And then um, kind of towards the end, Russ has already mentioned it, but there was this weird thing where you had to have not too much or too little of the yellow in. And I, um, it took quite a few goes for me to get like the little stipply last two stages, the high, the, the second to last highlight and the final highlight. I really struggled with, um, placing those delicately, let's say just like placing them in a way that didn't look like a mistake or like I'd, uh, I'd cocked up or anything. But um, I was pleased with the knee pad by the end of it, but I like the bits on the hips. I like it; just felt like I wasn't quite there yet with probably with brush control more than anything for, yeah. or maybe it should have just taken longer and been a bit more careful on a smaller area. But um, yeah, I was pleased with it. I mean that what I struggled really with was the very last stage. I'm not sure how it went for you guys, but the gold was okay. Um, once I'd had a bit of fiddle and then the black metal or dark metal, whatever it was called, that blew my mind. I just found that so incredibly tricky. I I agree. I think I ended up having a really nice effect, but it looked nothing like black metal. It was, you know, it just, it looked, it was like a, a greeny, bluey black that looked really nice. Um, you know, because I, I was showing rest up to and fro and like, I'm like, you were saying it was nice, but to me, it was just like, it's not the effect that I want. It's not the, the metallic David Sutter style, um, you know, and I, I really, again, I think the, the initially um, that I started the, the weekend strong, got 
a little bit too excitable and then sort of like almost then sort of struggled continuously for the rest of the weekend. Um, but in a way that I could see results as in like, I, it wasn't like, Oh, this is wow beyond me. It was more a case of like, this is not easy. I need to really think about what I'm doing and practice this. And, you know, and it was, that was the good thing about it for me at least. Yeah. I think, I, I think you, um, I think as well, what's important to realize is that all of us have got our own style. And I think yeah. if you looked at the three models and you didn't know whose was whose, you'd be able to identify whose was whose if you were familiar with our, some of our armies. Yeah, um, I think you probably would, yeah. Because I, I think for me, like the like the the black metal was a very weird thing because basically um, it felt a lot like how I did my warriors, obviously not with stippling, but adding a bluish color to the black and then building it up and then adding in a highlight color and I was like, this is very similar. And I started doing the shoulder pad and I was, he's got loads of like, almost like painted on detail and lots of like, kind of almost doesn't, it's like reflections where I, I wouldn't think there would be. Obviously, I mean, he's got better, better than me in terms of where to put the paint. But I found it was almost way too much up to where I was putting the brush. And the model wasn't really helping me. Because the shoulder pad's a big, smooth surface with some very, very subtle indentations, he'd almost like emphasise those little subtle, really subtle marks and dints, and and almost to to make it look angular and reflective. And whereas, like a knee pad's very angular anyway, it's got angles in it. It's very easy to see where the you know, oh, that's an angle there. So that's you know, there's that's going to be sharp. That's going to be that's going to the light and the dark contrast is going to be with a big smooth shoulder pad over the and you like and you with little dints and bits in it. And I was just like, well, I don't understand. I can't build up the layers to get to that point. Um, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. I couldn't do it in that way. So. I went well. Actually, if I if I blend it up and play around with it until I'm happy with the top where the light's going to be, where the reflections are in a rough way, and then stipple over the top of it. Yeah. And then I was, I think, David was coming around and I was talking to him. And what was really good is I'd be saying things to him like it was some pearl of wisdom, but obviously he probably already knows it all. But he's obviously um, always teaching him to suck eggs in a way. But I was sort of said, you could literally just blend it or, or like do your normal like sort of rough highlights, get the colours in the right place, and then add the texture and the stippling over the top, and then almost glaze in to smooth it out. And he was like, that's exactly, that's exactly how I do it sometimes. You know, he said that was... That's like, you know, you don't have to stipple from the dark all the way up to the light. And I think what was really good is he said that you're never going to do that and get it perfect. You have to work up, work down, you know, work down, work back up, work down, work back up, move paint, do do some glazing when necessary. It For me, it was, it was, that was where I was sort of feeling a lot more comfortable when it was a lot more kind of free to do those kind of things to get the colour in the right place. It felt a lot more natural for me. Um, I found that the like, trying to do the meticulous um, technique was was good, but it, it's not. I'm not a neat painter. I'm not. 
I'm not a painter that does very precise, meticulous marks to do a highlight. I'm very messy. I'm very slapdash. And I know it sounds a bit stupid, but that's just. I'm. A, I think you. What's the word you used to say, Les, with me? That was it. I can't remember what the word you used. I think it was art. Was it artistic? You said I'm more, more kind of like. Yeah, like I'd say, me and Byron are very precise. Whereas you're more sort of like you've you're you've free flown. You're like you are sort of like I can't think of like the the painting term I'd use is in like my head's gone blank. But but yeah, like if you, for instance, a bit if, more impressionist, isn't it? Like you, yeah. you give the yeah. you give the overall impression of the effects you're trying to communicate, and you don't necessarily do that by painting water exactly like water if you're going to take classical paint for example but you put light in the right places and color in the right places with like a, a it's a bit more organic i think like a yeah like smudgy smoky blended yeah. quality you know and I, th- where- I think as that came out for me when we did the line drawings as well because yeah. i literally i think i spent about 10 minutes doing my line drawings and i'd colored them both in and i was like I looked round and everyone was doing like the first one and I'd done two and mine were really rough, like like really slapdash and I was like, Oh maybe I, I should have took a bit more time but then I did a little bit bit on a bit more work on it, but I was like, Well, not no no, not really 'cause I, I you know, it gave me a very good idea of I didn't do the Oh, where am I going to shade? Where am I going to highlight? Thing that Byron did. I just literally was doing like color and and tone. And the second one I did, where I gave him like I did like golden, golden silver with blue in the recess of every color. I put the blue as a shade in every single area. Um, and that was that that I thought looked really cool. And I was like, oh, I could paint him that way, but I didn't. I didn't want to go down that route because I hadn't. Um, you know, so I wanted to try and follow. What um, David was showing us, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think the the shoulder pad broke me a little bit, so. (laughs) But yeah, um, it's it was it was a difficult thing to do, and you know, I found that so hard, like properly, like bashing your head against a wall, like why, like relearn everything you've ever thought. What's going on? Try, 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 try again. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and I think the um, it was quite good how he structured it, so it got um, it got harder and harder and harder as you got through it. So, like the silver was going to be the most basic one, um, obviously, relatively speaking. Um, even though I probably struggled with that the most, and then the gold was going to be a step up because it was it was a lot harder to get the color right. And then the last one was the hardest because it was like it was hard to get the color right and hard not to overdo the black. I mean, everyone talks about black being hard to get right, but to make it look black and not gray, and to get enough tone in it to make it interesting, and and you're painting an area that's more difficult than some of the other areas. So, I mean, didn't have to paint the shoulder pad, but we just all naturally went to that point, didn't we? So, it's what he'd done almost, wasn't it? So. Yeah, I think as well we all wanted to paint the fish head. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) um, That was basically it, really. Um, But that was basically it, wasn't it? That was our Mm -hmm. our weekend, and and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think for me, it really got me thinking about painting and hobby and got me really, really infused to do some more. And 
I have actually been thinking about the model and thinking maybe it's something I'll come back to and start doing a bit on it a bit at a time and maybe finish it at some point. But me and you talked about it on the way home, didn't we? And we were saying like, you know, you said, do you think you'll finish it? And I'm like, I'd really like to and, and stuff. And you were like, well, what, what you suggested was maybe get another one and then use the one that you've done as a reference. Yeah. Because there's so much that I learned on that model that I probably wouldn't do the same way again. Yeah. Um, so I'm very tempted to to pick it up again and, you know, maybe have it as a, a go for the South Coast painting competition next year. You know, if I was thinking a similar thing, not with another another model, but I was thinking maybe I should take the approach where I can remember reading a, an article a while ago and someone had every time they sat down to paint, they had to do 15 minutes on this one model. They had a crazy freehand design on it and it was a, a dreadnought or something. But and it was a difficult task, but it was just it was their getting their eye in technique. So every yeah. single time they sit down to paint, they had the three colours they needed next to the model in a little pot, get that out. And whether they were painting armies or commissions or whatever, they would sit down and they would do at least 15 minutes um, at the beginning of the session on this dreadnought. And it took them a year, but they just did it. They just made it part of their routine. And it's not going to take us nearly a year, but if every time you sit down to paint, Les, you do half an hour, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is, and um, do a little bit on the guide, then I think that might even work out as a better way to learn. I was thinking this myself, like, if I sit down, I'm like, no, I'm going to paint that foot. And it, it seems laughable. We're joking about it all week, like, oh, sorry, all weekend, like, we're only going to have a foot done. But if you sit down, you paint a foot, and then you paint a shin pad, and then you paint a thigh, that's like a quarter of the front of the model done. And you could have done it over four sessions by accident. So that's what I've been thinking anyway. I'd like to do a nice base. Like, I'd like to try properly on a scenic base. That'd be yeah. cool. Is it? something that i'd you know i'd love to maybe go back to it and, and and see or or take the techniques that i learned and apply it to you know i don't think it's it's actually feasible to apply all of the techniques to an army but i'll definitely be taking on board some of the stuff definitely um like my next army is going to have a non-metallic metallic on it um as a whole um so i'll be using the non-metallic metallic definitely the recipe that david has you know showed us which you'll you'll all notice listeners that we've not really elaborated on any of the paints or the color schemes <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um we can put a link in the show notes um to the uh the paints used um yeah because you can buy them off element but um yeah it's a bundle a bundle but um but yeah like, i think that's a conscious thing we're trying not to sort of like uh maybe not sort of it'd be good for people to go and do the course themselves rather than hear it secondhand with us talking. yeah we don't want to give away too much of his stuff it was an amazing experience um yeah. And I think he's going to be doing a contrast one in the future in Element as well, which I'm mean, like bearers. I think, well, that'd be I, amazing. I think, so. But for me, <laughs> considering I was really unsure about whether or not I would, um, you know, I wasn't sure if it was I was going to go, but I, I'll honestly say it was probably the best £160 I've spent on hobby in, like, you know, probably in the last 10 years. Probably yeah. ever. You, know, you break um, it down by the hour and you're like, wait a minute, I got a three-hour talk, two six-hour days, um, a model and... I've got, he said at the end of the class as well, like, look, if you want some advice about paint in the future, here's my email address. Like, just pop through some pictures and a message and give me my time. You're like, uh, okay. That, that was the thing right. that I was really <laughs> We've all now got, like, we can all sort of, like, send him, like, stuff to, to come back to us on. I mean, I'm sure he must, you know, he might not do it. But I imagine seeing the bloke that he is, I'm sure, like, if I was like, David, this is what I've done. I've applied it to this, this your technique to this model. You know, can you give me some pointers? You know, I'm sure he would, you know, really give you the pointers because he's just generally a, 
he just seemed like a stand-up bloke. bloke. Yeah, yeah. I think I think for me, like that was the that was a, a sort of key point is that everyone around the table was a painter. Everyone was kind of bouncing off each other with, um, you know, their their kind of impressions of, and 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 giving each other support and comments. And um, at the end of the day, he was extremely kind of receptive and supportive as well. And it was it was it was just come away from it feeling really inspired and really um, really frothy for painting. That makes sense. Yeah, it's just, it was really good. Yeah, just properly. I think it's properly positive. And um, you've been in a bit of a hobby lull. I had done a bit, but I wasn't quite on it. And it's just I can go away. Like I might not be painting stippling on something at a high level at all, but I'm just I'm just psyched for applying paint to models. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's got me. It's got me thinking about armies, color scheme, scenery, um, using sponges, and doing NMM on my um, on my army, on my caradrons and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, highly recommend it if you're uh, if you get the opportunity to go. Definitely, definitely go. It's amazing. Yes, and uh, and on a separate note, just as we sign off, it was cool to meet the some some good people like Andy, the guy sat next to me, and and like Henry Byron knows this Henry, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Henry. Henry yeah, um, absolute top bloke. Get yourself an Age of Sigma army. Come to a fucking Age of Sigma. We told him. Yeah, we've told him. I'm gonna send him a badgering message when this is done, just to ask him how his army planning is going. Yeah, because he listens to the show, doesn't he? So like, get get yourself. An Age of Sigma army mate, and come and hang out at Eventless. Let's get a golden demon winner in the uh, in the Age of Sigma scene because yeah. we should have a few more, I think. Yeah, yeah, I mean it was awesome. I mean we had we had a moment as well where we were sort of we kind of hit on this realization of this like dirty quick method of doing it, and uh, we were just sort of looked at each other and sort of gave us a little nod, like yeah, we know that, yeah, we're on that. It was, uh, <laughs> it was cool. So um, yeah, I think I'd be a bit. You know, it was a good group of people and it was really good. But anyway, we can talk about that all all night. And we have pretty much. So, <laughs> so we've done, done hardcore hobby, like top level painting content. So let's yeah. sort this out by getting yeah. gamey and getting sky gamey. dwarfing the shit out of things. Yeah. yeah, if there was ever a podcast that I thought I'd be a guest on, this would not be it. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, that's hi everyone. I'm Tom. <laughs> Come on, I've got to touch on some things. Tom, really good. What keywords have we been using, Tom? Tell, tell us so, your, your painting knowledge. You want some uh, some nice line highlighting, some stippling, and uh, some non-metallic metallics. Yeah, contrast, push the contrast as well, isn't it? Yeah, so contrast. Yeah, OSL. Yeah. Acronyms, getting the acronyms in there. That's like me talking about programming. I'm just like, yeah, uh, Matrix, your your mainframe indexing quad core. It just doesn't quite work. Except that, except that <laughs> yeah. Tom's thing is actually an acronym used in painting, whereas yours are not programming <laughs> acronyms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so Tom, your credrons. Should we talk army list? Should we fill it up? Can you call we it? Cradron Corner with Tom Walsley, please, this section. Cradron Corner. Yeah, we can. Does it need a bumper? Like a little <laughs> musical interlude? It'd have to sound like jaunty. Yeah. Oh, Nord- Ross, do it now. Can't, off the top of your head. Use, we can't use the magic roundabout. Do, 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 yes, do, we can. <laughs> there we go. That's it. Done. Right. <laughs> okay. So you're, you're doing 
Kahadron, Overlords. Um, have you written any lists? Have you got an idea Wait. of what you're going to do? Why are you doing that first, Tom? Like, what yeah. is your... Because there's a bit you've been playing a smaller version with them. Is that, like, is Skirmish why you're doing the army, or did you just like them? What happened? Uh, no, I think Skirmish has basically had the impact on me that GW intended, in that it lets you sort of get involved in some games without buying many models, and then see how you like the feel of an army, and then go from there. And that's basically what's happened. And oh. boats. Boats. Skyboats. That's yeah. cool. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, with the, at the club we've been doing a few games of Skirmish, which is really good, actually. Um, I, I tweeted the first day we played it, saying that sort of it's I'm enjoying it more than the actual game. After playing a few more games, I'd probably say that was probably a bit pre, uh, premeditated, yeah. but no. I premature. Think, <laughs> yeah, premature is the word. Um, no, it was... But it's good. Um, the problem is when you start playing a game that's intended to be a narrative game with people like me. Tony, Tony <laughs> Hello, Moore, mate, you mentioned and... yourself first. <laughs> <laughs> so we sort of immediately broke it a little bit to the point where we've had to self-comp ourselves when we're playing it. Yeah. So I think the, the Carriage and Overlord bits that I've been using... Just simply the Thunderers and the the, um, the company, but I think they're they're really good in skirmish. You know, every model having two shots is incredible. Um, probably too powerful, if I'm being honest. Uh, and then all all of us simultaneously bought Night Venators because for uh, I think 24 skirmish points, it was an absolute no brainer. So we've now all bought them, all built them, and simultaneously banned each other from using them. Yeah, you dropped some knowledge on me at the weekend. I was like, wow, how did I not see that? So I've been like slipping that into some club members um, so they can take it to skirmish. So I don't You've go been to play slipping it your Venator into club members. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we could edit that <laughs> and change it. We ought to get, Bang. Ought to get it out. <laughs> it's because slipping his star shard arrow or whatever it's called. Yeah, star star fated. Star fated. Star fated. Oh, I almost got it right. I know. Such always. a hobbyist. <laughs> He's the complete hobbyist. I, am, I can't even get the words right. I know what it does. Ketchup OSL stippling star fated <laughs> arrow. Yep. That is. <laughs> You just described my life with a I little have, bit of Diablo Warcraft. <laughs> Battle net. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the skirmish is actually really good, and it's yeah, it has given me a bit of motivation over the last two years. I haven't played any games of AOS outside of tournaments, so that's given me a little bit of motivation to do some. I still hold that I haven't played any games of AOS outside of tournaments because skirmish doesn't count. But yeah, yeah. I do intend to actually play some games, which. Yay actually is is a massive improvement for me I'll and it's that not you, tom i put my cherry yeah. yesterday and actually enjoyed it so cool and can you can you can i repop it then yeah i'll uh i'll go and get the procedure done and uh we can go there i think the awesome. term sloppy seconds isn't it <laughs> yeah let's like let's get away from this analogy <laughs> so um <laughs> <laughs> but you can arrange a game in your own time in in as weird a way as you want. Let's not do it on the man show. To decide for himself. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Cool. So you you Kradjons, and that actually came back from skirmish. Then that's how you got to that. I I've wanted to do a new army for a while. I've bought into Zinch initially because that's the kind of gamer I am. 
Yeah. Uh, and then realized that that's the kind of game where I was and sold it rather yeah. than rather than so building the game it, you I want thought, to be. Right? So it just it'd be too easy if you were planning on both taking teach and doing practice games. You just thought like, I, I, yeah, it won't be enough of a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, I think the having played, I, I don't want to play the utter filth but i also i'm never gonna take something that is a foam sword to a gunfight i think you kind of you want to take some left field filth don't you from talking to you recently yeah and that's sort of what i feel i've done in aos so far you You know that you don't see many people using glockkin on blight kings or maybe glockkin but blight kings don't seem to be around much no they're not no and i do you think that um did you when you looked at the koraitron battle tome did you did it leap out at you as an army that is is kind of you're going to have to be quite a good player to get the most out of it? Definitely, it it's, it sort of rings true to a bit. And I'm going to use an eighth head analogy here, but eighth head dark elves. Yeah, in that it's quite a movement oriented army. Like you, your stuff does a lot of damage, but cannot take a hit other than the ships, obviously. But yeah. The ships uh, can be used like a lot like 40k transports to block paths and things, especially with three-inch control zones. Yeah. So like the ironclad's base is can cut off like an entire huge, side yeah. of of a unit, and so I think with with clever positioning, the first thing I looked at when I bought the book was that it's all good. You can jump out the ship, you can blow something up, but then you're likely just going to die. But then I, I sort of had a, a think about it and thought, well, no, because you've got the Ironclad's crazy big base size, crazy tough with the healing, and that you just drop out char- uh, and just charge with it and pin something down, and then yeah. if you don't get the double, you, you've all, you're also protected still. So I think yeah. they're a lot more resilient than they look. I, I work on, I, because I've not played an awful lot of games, the bigger the base size, the more wounds something has, so... I thought the Thunderers had more wounds than they did when I read them before I read the book, but I think one wound probably makes them fair. Yeah, they're a bit weird, aren't they? Because you think, oh, five wounds for of a four-up save for 100 points, and it's, it seems a lot. Like, but then when you but... think of how many wounds they dish out, potentially, yeah. like I think what what people aren't factoring in when... A couple of podcasts that I've listened to so far have sort of gone on the fact that they are quite expensive, which I agree. When you write lists, you don't get much at all, especially if you're taking a couple of ships. But I think the chemists are really cheap. So that then reflects in the points of the units. Yeah, potentially. I think um, for me, the the characters, like the non, like a lot of some of the characters seem a bit overpriced for what you get. And. Um, I don't. Yeah. I don't think the units particularly are overpriced. I think maybe the ships are. Yeah. No. I, I'd. I'd agree there. I think the the ironclad at four forty is the same price as the Glockkin, and I know which one I'd take. Yeah. Obviously, complete apples to oranges. But when you do look you not, at them in comparison, do you not think that is uh, a conscious decision in order to make them so they're not too cheap for people who are taking mixed order armies? I honestly um, can say. Do you not um, think that's a possibility? Like, um, I, I, when I first heard people talking about it, that was my first assumption. It could be a completely incorrect one, but the way people were talking about certain things being all right for costs and the ships being expensive, I just assumed that maybe it like, yeah, I don't know. 
No, that's a, that's a fair point. But yeah, uh, I, I couldn't say. I think the um, you know that they are that is what it is. You know, that's that's just. I think the problem is when you've got a model that has so many different rules and abilities. It's like you have to kind of point all the abilities in, and and yeah. like with the ironclad, it's got so many things it does. You're like, well, it's going to be expensive. Because it's got shooting, it's got anti-charge stuff, it's got a mortal wound against flyers, it's got a way to um, give all your ships a buff. It's uh, you know, it's got it's got so many rules. You're just like, well, you've kind of got to factor all that in, and it's I think it's quite hard to to point that. I think that maybe that's why they're a little bit on the pricey side because they've almost got all these very situational quirky rules which you're pointing point. potential yeah yeah exactly yeah uh, i think as well the way the way things are at the moment is a lot of things i think people are working on the assumption that they'd rather be overpointed than under yeah probably because overpointing doesn't break the game underpointing does yeah, yeah potentially i think i think it's just it's just it's a hard balance to get right and and points yeah definitely points are always one of those things that is it's all about context so, like, you know, I mean, I use the 40k example, it, 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 like a melter gun. It's like, so a melter gun against infantry is not very good, like, against, like, you know, like, cheap uh, infantry or a bad save. Against a tank, it's amazing. So how do you point that? Is it, It's worth, yeah. if you're firing against a tank, it's worth 20 points. If you're firing against infantry, it's worth four points. So it's like, you, you, can't, you can't point context. That's the problem with point systems, but... Anyway, yeah. we can uh, <laughs> we'll digress a bit if we go down that way. So, um, you, you've have you written some lists, then, Tom? I've I've not fully written, but I've got some ideas. Um, okay. I've been playing around on War Scroll Builder um, while you were talking about painting. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was listening as well, honest. Yeah. Sipling, That's highlighting. Right. You can listen back later. That's fine. <laughs> I was. Um, when you said when you brought me back in, it brought a little complex to me. I thought, oh, I'm being asked. I thought I was just listening to the show at that point, and uh, <laughs> oh, I get, I get to be a part. So, the couple of lists that I've written so far, and I've purely just put down what potential models I can get in an army. So, I'll go through what I think, uh, item-wise. I'm going to call them magic items. That's not the right term, but various bits of war gear and upgrades and things like that. So. The the first one that I looked at was the Zilfin drop list. So looking at trying to get the number of drops down as much as possible. I think you can get it to two. Uh, you can't go all the way down to just a one-drop army. You probably could, but I don't think it would be fantastic. But looking at double chemist, and I've put an engine master in. I'm not sure yet whether whether he stays in or just becomes another chemist because I'm really fun. Yeah. Uh, I think then, the engine master is the underrated hero that you're gonna need lots of. You can't get lots of them though. Like you, no, I think you only ever fit in one Okay. I think at hundred and forty points I think you really struggle, especially since you're only taking them because you take ships. Yeah, I think you're right, but um I quite like their combat output as well. Yeah. So it was Engine Master Double Chemist, uh, one of the chemists with the ear burster, because that's incredible. Mm-hmm. What's that do? Uh, Just remind people. That, 
So that is the instant battle shock. Yeah. So you've got the Aether Chemist with um, a 10-inch range, incredible weapon anyway, 3D shoot, 3D6 shots, 4s and 4s, Ren 2. It's only one damage, but you know, you're yeah. shooting enough times with it. And if the Chemist, if I get this right, if he kills a model, not causes a wound, he has to kill a, a yeah. full model, then the unit immediately takes a battle shock test, and that can be done after shooting another unit at them. So you've already caused casualties for a Battleship modifier, make them take a test, and then make them take another test at the end of the turn. Yeah. Which yep. some some of the big units that, that are a big worry, rocks or big units of brutes, things like that, you can potentially take them off in one turn. Yeah, yeah I mean, even a small unit. For bravery and stuff. Yeah, that's it. It's and it gives you the option to also spread the shooting out. So now, hang on. Let me just read the book a second. I've just had a thought, but I don't know that I can do it. All right. Well, so you've got you've got an insight into my brain at the moment. <laughs> We're all a bit scared about that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all about ketchup. Um, I was going to say there's ketchup everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! What page so, are the items on? What are you trying to check? So I'm looking at the Airburster, yep. and looking at the fan, I've got them here. No, I'm not on the Warband table. So if you, because you roll your 3d6 shots, you can mm-hmm. then split them between right. units. Can, yep. does the Airburster affect every unit you make, cause a casualty on? Oh, that's a good question. Though. That is a good question. But I can't find the, the item now. <laughs> I can't find it. Oh, there we go. The Aether Chemist discovered that, but that's, that's fluff. Sorry, law. Yeah. Uh, pick t- one of the bearer's missile weapons to be fitted. If any models are slain with this weapon, their unit must immediately take a Battleshock test. Yes, so, yes, can. it does work. Wow. Multiple. So, so I guess we, it's more risky. Um, you, you might uh, end up under allocating and not getting the one you wanted, but it's a balancing act. It's managing that potential, isn't it? You could cause multiple. Yeah. But then if you're, again, this is going onto a different list, but if you're Urbaz with more chemists, you've also got the amendment that lets you take an additional artifact, so you just have multiples of them. And yeah. you just fire out infinite, well, not infinite, but fire out quite a lot of Battleshock tests. So if, yeah, you've, got two, if you've got two chemists fighting un- one-wound models, and they could both shoot two units, you've got absolutely no reason to not split the shots evenly between the two units. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's the armies that don't take Battleshock tests as well that, like, people have made them like that because they really suffer when they are forced to take them. So you're not going to get to a turn, but you can make them take a battle test even if they're immune, right? Ooh, that's I question. don't know how that... That was, a, that was something else that I wasn't sure on. That depends on the wording, doesn't it? Because if it says... It depends on the wording of the ability that makes them immune. So if it says in the Battleshock phase they automatically pass Battleshock tests... Then, and then you it's not get in the battle shock because phase. it's not in the battle shock phase. If it said um, automatically pass battle shock test, then that's different because it's still a test, it's still a battle shock test. So, so I think it's only if it mentions the phase, the timing, it would it would actually take effect. Uh, but that's quite that's quite interesting. Um, but that's something that people could check up, I guess, later on. Um, so did yeah, you? Yeah, I'm not even sure where the wording is for. Uh, it will be on the ability that makes you. It's in the four pages, but the, the four pages aren't in the back of the. 
scratching. No, but... I've got them here. So it, it actually says, pick a unit. The unit you pick does not have to take Battleshock tests. So Yeah, so Inspiring Presence still works, but yeah. maybe like the Blood Secretor banner wouldn't? I don't know, but we'd have to check. Yeah, there's but certain, there's there's certain there abilities that might them. not work. So, um, so yeah, the the rest of the, the, the Zilfin list, um, affectionately, I think people are calling it Clown Car. I yeah. Know. I love it. It's amazing. So, is <laughs> so Endred Buster, Double Chemist, uh, three tens of company, all with Skyhooks, because I can't see you taking anything else in this type of list. Maybe you take the volley guns in other ones, but I think I, don't know, I think, are I think the um, volley guns are pretty good. I think they're a bit underrated. Um, it's range for me. I think the volley guns are 18, aren't they, compared yeah. to the... The twenty-four on the. Um, the but sky if you're hooks. in the, um, if you're dropping from the sky, it's close anyway, isn't it? Yeah. So and, and you is... probably find the enemy wants to run at you, right? You'd hope so. Yeah. <laughs> with the list that's got this much shooting, uh, and then you've got ten thunderers with mixtures of cannons and rifles. I think rifles are really good. Yeah, I think the basic they... rifles are really good. I think everyone's yeah. raving about the cannons, which are great for run two, but just from a a number of shots perspective, I think yeah. most things you're happy with rend one. I did a, a I did a nerdy thing with a spreadsheet, and the rifles basically outperformed the other weapons pretty much every time. Um, the problem the I think, problem I have with the like the cannon and stuff is so swingy. And it's it's kind of the same with the skyhook. It's like it even does. Shot. It's one shot that if it hits wounds, they don't save, and you get into damage. Could do three wounds. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, but actually, it's a bit inconsistent. And whereas, like something like the volley gun, it's six shots. It potentially could do six wounds. I know it's not as reliable, but because you roll more dice, the averages get a chance to come out more. And yeah. I think the same with the rifles. They're a little bit more reliable, um, but they're still good. And I'm like, well, actually, I think, would I rather have the rifles? Probably. Maybe I, I, I put would. one or two of the other weapons in the unit to give me a little bit of extra rend or a little bit of extra range. You know, you, maybe you take a couple cannons, a couple mortars, just to give you a bit of variation. But I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards just taking rifles, you know? Yeah, I think... Mm. Going too mixy on the weapons means your chemists reduce yeah. value. Um, I think if you went up 10 cannons, you, you're sort of telling yourself, well, I'm, I need the chemists on them every turn. Yeah, It's just 10 rifles on their own, four hit, five hits, four wounds. Like, so you might do six or seven wounds, whereas the rifles firing 24 shots, 22 shots. Yeah. It, Especially when you're fighting against a hero or anything you get rerolls against from your amendments or your footnotes, mm. you you're rerolling more dice. So yeah, yeah that's, so I think one chemist on the rifles is is really good when you when you're taking the cannons. You need, I think you want two chemists to ensure that mm. everything's going through. Um, so yeah, just. Probably rifles, and again, 18-inch range versus 12 is massive, especially yeah. when you're dropping out the sky and you've got to be nine away. Yep, yep. I really the, like the, the um, I really like the rifles. I think they're um, yeah. I think they're they're the one that sit in the middle. 
and they've got a, they haven't got as much rend as the cannon, but they've got more rend than the mortar. They haven't got as much range as the mortar, but they've got more range than the cannon. They're not doing multiple damage, but I think they hit slightly better. Well, they, you know, so it's kind of they kind of sit in a nicer place for me. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, and then the other the other unit. So we've got the ironclad as the the car with last word great cannon. I think is fairly yeah. standard going to be going forward. Did you were you tempted to take the um the the volley gun or whatever it's called on the on the ironclad because I think that's actually probably better than the cannon. The ten shots. Yeah. Have you mm. mapped it? Have you mapped it out? No, I haven't. I think with playing with playing with the Glockin, I really like to have like really swingy. If it hits, it's great shots. Um, right. Like the Glock, the Glockin's shot, the two d six wound job can win you games. I think having having that one cannon, especially with the last word as well. So you've got you know you're firing it more than five times in a game. You're, you will get some some wounds through, and it doesn't reduce based on the damage taken, which yeah. is one thing that Glotkins one suffers massively. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong with that. I don't know. Um, I think just having like you drop out the sky, say against a let's pick a rock for example, because that's one of the only things I know what it does. <laughs> You drop, you drop out the sky, you, you're quite easily within 24 inches of the boss, mm. and you've got a reasonable chance just to pop him off, especially if you've got the footnote that does the D3 mortal wounds. Yeah. But so if you, you don't do a wound, you, you don't do anything. Whereas if you're firing 10 shots, and you've got that, that footnote, and you get a couple through, then this our oh, footnote, oh, he's dead. Do you know what I mean? Is it's the, like... Are there, is the range the same on it? I, I was under the assumption it was a small, a shorter range. It's eighteen um, rather than twenty-four. Yeah, it's it's not. Like, so it's it's not make or break, is it? No. Especially if you're dropping. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I I don't know. Like, I think, I think it's viable. You know, it's a viable choice. Definitely, yeah. I think the skyhook's not worth it at all. No, no, I would never take that. It's it doesn't have enough. You know, for what what it does, it doesn't have enough for me. Um, Especially, there's so many ways to boost the movement of the ships. It's not, it's not really needed for the grapnel thing. So, yeah. To be fair, you you might be right with the the cannon because you've got the torpedoes that are 24 inch range to do what you want to do with the heroes that are further away. Yeah, yeah. Like the, I, I think initially I was thinking, oh yeah, take the great cannon, take the great cannon, and then I got I when I started looking at it, I started thinking, would you, would you not take the volley gun? I don't know, but. It's going to need some play, I think, but it, luckily it's quite easy to magnetize that, so you can swap those guns around. So, yeah. Um. And the, the other the other units are a combination of Endrin Riggers and Sky Wardens. I've not mathed out what I want yet, but I've, in this one that's bang on two thousand, I've got nine and nine. They're so good, aren't they? The the Endrin Riggers are fantastic. Um, I've bought a couple. I've I've built some to use in skirmish. And yeah. they're just incredible oh, there, just skirmish. to sit behind terrain. Oh yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> just jump out and um, like they kill one thing with the pistol every turn and charge in with the, the saw and just ruin something. Um, so the riggers... With the riggers, I, I want... would you give them any special weapons? Or would you so, just go rivet guns and saws and just leave it at that? The two options I've been playing around with would be having maybe one shooter unit 
with the drill cannons and then having nine with just saws but with two grapnels right so yes you're losing a couple of saws but you know that's four wounds that you can take without reducing your combat power anyway yeah that was a good point you made to me because i was thinking grapnels just like they're okay but you have to take two to be reliable and they don't do anything like they literally only do that drag thing which again is really good but you know so you've got and i'm gonna butcher the scenarios here but the is it take and hold where you've got an objective in each deployment zone Uh the the last bit on that is at the end of turn three if you control both objectives you just win yeah yeah so if you've got an army rushing towards you the, in, the immediate threat there is if they leave anything behind that is remotely squishy, and even not, doesn't even need to be squishy, to be honest, that nine of those can't just grapnel over and just murder. They, they have to leave more back, otherwise they're a, they're a threat of just losing the game on turn three. Yeah, I think it's quite hard to, because we've taken hold, it's only like, they only have to have one model left to stop you, so it's quite hard if if people are playing correctly and they've got three or four different things all equally spread around that objective, it's quite hard to get them all, but yeah, it's it's certainly not too bad. Um, but it, it means that they have to leave more stuff yeah, back, of course, yeah. which which gives you a bit more... Uh, they've got less of an assault party, haven't they, coming over the board for yours? It's, yeah. it's another thing to think about that you can play for in the game. It's like the tree revenants being able to teleport to the woods on the objectives on Border War and stuff like that. You know, um, It's something that you have to be aware of in the game and you can't just leave five models there because you can go in with nine and, or whatever and, and kill them and then you, you've also got the game. Yeah, I think with the, with the grapnels as well, some of the things that you really want to kill that your guns might not be able to, say Mirror Shield Star Drake for example, has enough wounds that you can grapple directly towards it. Mm-hmm. So you don't even need it to be near a piece of terrain. You just grapple three inches away from it, and off you go. Obviously, a bit, bit different with they can bubble things around it, but again, if they're... I've always said this with playing games, if they're moving stuff around to accommodate threats of things, that, and you can just dance around shooting stuff anyway, then you're already winning. Yeah. Do you if think they're... the um, nine's quite a big unit, isn't it? Nine gives you the two grapnels without nerfing your combat potential too much. And it's three sixty um, points for that. Yes, and the bravery seven. I believe so. Yeah, and um, I mean, you're primarily going to be alpha striking with this unit, right? You're not. You're not really. They're not going to be sticking around that long. I, I don't think. But um, one of the things I had with the. Um, with the engine riggers is that you you go okay go take nine but if you take three threes then that's three wins you're healing back on a sky vessel rather than one but you're not going to be near it i don't think no unless you're unless you're just taking them for the shooting yeah maybe but i think i don't know like it because you you could have three of them embarked couldn't you? You could have them all embarked and they're all healing and then they can drop out and they don't count towards your limit. I don't know. I think for me, like these are the kind of options, the nuances that makes the army quite interesting. Yeah. My my thinking behind the bigger unit as opposed to the three smaller it's units is if you right. want it's the chemists for one, and also 
like if you need a target dead, three isn't going to do it. No, of course, yeah. So you're then going to need to charge maybe two units into something, at which point only one of them's going to fight anyway, because three of them have only got six wounds. Yeah, yeah. So I think you need to be activating them all at the same time, just to ensure what you're doing gets gets dead. That's not English, but, yeah. you know. Um, and with the way that this sort of list plays, it plays, I suppose it plays a little bit like the the droppy armies of the past in that you, you wait until you've got a good opportunity for a double. Yeah. And capitalize on that where you can put yourself in a position, I think, where if you do get the double turn with this list, you win. Yeah. So we... Because having that second that second opportunity to shoot and charge with the riggers before they do get blatted. So you said about using a combat unit and a shooting unit. Would the shooting unit be Skywardens? Or would that be riggers I... as well? For the extra 60 points, I think they may as well be riggers if you can find yeah. the 60 points. Yeah, sure. Or this this list here is 2,000 on the nose with the shooter unit being Skywardens. Right, okay. But you could always drop... You could drop three Skywardens to make them into riggers, and then you've also got a, fo- uh, a Triumph, which, again, with this list, having rerolls for something is quite big. Oh, massive if you get a hit reroll. Yeah. Um, but that like, kind of like swift, fragile Death Star, the, it's a, there's that combination of the double turn being amazing and anything to reroll above it is, uh, is all the more amazing because of its larger size. It's kind of like, um, and, it, and it can go down pretty fast. It, everything you're saying reminds me of when I was playing my Death and my big 480 point unit of um, Morgasts. I just had to I'd only have one thing in combat so that one thing could go first. I'd only have one big unit so that could receive all the buffs. And if I did get the double turn, I could wipe out something and then go and wipe out something again before everything was concentrated on that unit and it just died. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good point. Um, I, I mean, for me, like, I guess if you're taking shooting, you, you're just taking drills, right? Drill cannons? Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, really good. You, you don't need the you don't need the move from the skyhooks. You may as no. well have the extra rend and the chance to do the extra mortals. Yeah, I really like sky wardens. I think they're really good. Like, I don't know, their shooting attack's not too bad on the normal guys. They've got, you know, they're a bit cheaper, which is useful. They can still take dual cannons. Um, yeah, it's they're pretty good. I mean, I really like the. The kind of these like bobble bobble flyer guys, I really like them. Um, yeah, I think they're really fragile, but I think that's other than the ships, everything in the army is. Yeah, so you've only just got be like, one ironclad. That's it. Yeah, that's you just can't fit any ships in other no. than that. Yeah, it's it's difficult, the, um, isn't it? So you could you could have a frigate instead of the second unit of bubbles. Yeah. But then, you've got you've nothing to put in it. Well, you could put some Arcanauts in it, couldn't you? I mean, yeah, you've got a free tens of Arcanauts, haven't you? I mean, it's not. So you could do. You, you could put you, you could put some guys in it. I mean, it's it's just like um, I think for me the I quite like the idea of running multiple ships. Like I think that this yeah. I wrote had a an ironclad, a frigate, and a gun hauler in it. 
I couldn't quite afford a second frigate, so I took the gun hauler, but that makes my ironclad more survivable. Um, I only had smaller units of the Endra guys, and I took like 10, 10 Thunderers, I think, is a pretty staple unit in most yeah, armies. I think, um, I think you need a ship to carry everything in your army that isn't much. company. Yeah. You know, your, your company, if you're, if you're just playing the three tens, you're almost leaving it to die anyway. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what I quite like about the company is you can use them as a screen for your Thunderers if they're both in the same ship. So I always think about the Ironclad, you drop the um, the company out and then you drop the Thunderers sort of behind. Um, and you, if they do get past the Ironclad or they have something that can fly past it, then you've got another ablative screen. And what's yep. quite good about the Thunderers is if they get to fight, they can retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, bef- rather than fight, um, which is quite useful, but also the they'll then be tied up on the Arcanaut Company, um, and you could even use like the I think there's I think it's the Ironclad itself has a if they charge and they finish their charge within a one inch of it, it can drop a bomb that means that everyone else attacks before they do, so you can protect your thunderers that way. So that's pretty yeah, mileage. I was just going to say you. You're like, are you two assuming the three units of ten minimum stance in in every approach you're taking? Like, is there mileage to that second unit of balloons you've got, dropping them and taking a thirty or anything like that for more bodies? Um, or so, generally, generally speaking, are you just going absolute minimum for battle line. The the other list that I had written just like really quickly was a a, a list with no ships. Mm. And it was a an Urbaz triple chemist list with two nines of Endrin riggers and two thirties and a twenty of company. Um, uh, I think that's an interesting one. And you've got all of your chemists. So every single unit in your army is buffed by a chemist or the two. Um, you've got what nine, eighteen, twenty-four. 36 Skyhooks, or 36 3 or D3 wound, Ren 2 or 3 weapons. Yeah. Um, the problem is that, again, you're a bravery 6 or 7, yeah. 1 wound infantry, mm-hmm. with we'll no f- protection. 5 up safe, yeah. Yeah, so it can, it can hurt stuff, but it will get outshot, I think. I, I think you just run 10s, and... I think if you run smaller units, you can put them in ships. You've got the option to pick them up and drop them. If you run a 30 and you've got something like a frigate and you go, I just need to, if I, if it was frigate, if they were a unit of 10, I could get in the frigate and move the frigate and then dump them out somewhere next turn. You can't do that if there's 30. They just don't fit in anything. Um, They're quite slow as well. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe there's legs in it, but I honestly, Arcanaut Company for me, it's three tens minimum. Yeah, I think the other the other option you've got, just sort of going off the top of the head, is to take an Urbaz Iron Sky. Yep. Which you can have the chemists as part of the battalion. Yeah, and also um, the battalion is frigates. It's two frigates and three units of Arcanauts fits in that. That's what I was going uh, to run. Two, yeah, it's two to ten, isn't yeah. it? So, yeah, you've got, so you get your one-drop army that way. Yeah, that's what I was going to do with my um, with my army to start with. It was going to be using that formation 
uh, adding in. I was going to add in other units like an ironclad, and then have everything else goes in the ironclad. So it's a two drop. Um, Would you not just not take the ironclad and have it as a one drop? Uh, I think you, the ironclad's just so so important to the army um, because it allows you. For me, it was to put the two units of thunderers <laughs> and all the aether chemists in one place, and then you can drop them all out and then triple buff double stacking um and then have all that firepower in one place um and so this is still urbaz not yeah this is, yeah this is urbaz yeah so i think if you're going for the the one drop as well like you're facing another one drop army it's just a 50 50 which obviously is, is better than an auto loss but you if you stack too much in that way an inconvenience of a list then the armies you're going to go before anyway because they got five six 13 drops you, you're going to finish before as is but you might have lost a, a key part of what you're doing and then you rock up against Sylvaneth and you really wanted to go first and you lose the 50 50 chance as is yeah i think for True. me as well i liked that the ironclad can give the frigates extra range um and you want the extra range on the first battle round to use the formation effect with getting double shots. Yes. So I yeah, I think the ironclad, because it buffs the frigates as well, I just think it's so important to the army. You, you want one in there. And then, so then you've got no bubble dudes at all. Uh, no, I think you can fit a couple units of three in. There's not, you don't have a lot, but you have like, I think you have like two frigates and ironclad, three tens of Arconauts, Two tens of thunderers, um, three aether chemists, and I think you can have like one unit of engine riggers. But yeah, basically, no, you don't. You could drop one of the thunderer units into a six of sky wardens if you wanted, but yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it it, it requires some play, but I think I think it depends what you're doing really. Um, I keep I'm I'm leaning a lot more towards um, barrack mornar now. Have you have you looked at that? Remind me, I have, but there's so names are... they get the they're like the shadowy, shady ones, and um, they get a command ability which is every you pick an enemy unit, and every friendly unit within three gets to reroll to hit against that unit with their shooting. Okay, so yeah. basically, you almost do a point and click, that's gonna die, fire, right, it's dead. Next put turn, point and click, that's dead. Um, I quite like the idea of that because it's the hit rolls on all the weapons are not particularly brilliant, and if you can re-roll all your shots again, and it's against one target, but a lot of people tend to have key pieces you want to shoot and kill, um, mm-hmm. and you can just pick that unit and go. That unit is going to get murked this turn, um, and I'm going to murk it. Um, so I think, in what I quite like about it, is it's. Um, you need less chemists then. Yeah, you're not reliant on chemists, and your your kind of your your general is useful. Um, so you you can take like an admiral or something, and and they're you know they're they're pretty viable, and you can still take chemists and stuff as well. And yeah, you're not getting the double stack, but I think it's a viable viable skyport. I do like yeah. it. Yeah. Do you, do you think it places? Look, I'm just reading it now. I think that's really cool because again, you, a chemist reroll to hit is the same as a chemist. It, it's yeah, the same yeah. net number of hits on a unit. Um, but with the command trait, 
are you then a bit boned if your general dies? Your general's only a six-wound bloke. Yeah, you are, but you can put him in the ship. Well, he can't use his command ability then, though, can he? No, but you drop in the hero phase. So, right, okay. So you, so come, you... Out, you come out the ship with your stuff, with the general, you pop your command ability, you shoot whatever's there to kill it, then, you know, you, you're then in a position on the table and you've got that fire base. So you could then either jump back in or you could just you could just hold that position on the table if that's an objective. You're going, you've got that fire base, then you can use the uh, ships or the company to try and, like, kind of hold that area. Um, yeah, and yeah, they you you're right. You know, they kill the character, the the ability's gone. But if they're shooting the character or they're trying to fight the character, they're not killing the other stuff that does the damage. So, and you, it may yeah, be definitely. enough just to have one turn where you guarantee that you are gonna you're gonna absolutely do so much damage in that one turn. Um, I, I kind of like the imagery of it as well. Like you know, the commanders going right, all of you like concentrate fire on that and. I don't know, like, for me, that... You've lost me now. Imagery. Oh, sorry, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just... Um, no, is, it, is it a low-drops army, this one? Any Karajan army is low-drop, yeah. because you deploy your ship and you go, right, all these guys are in the ship, that's one drop. So you've got a good potential of... You're saying it's really good for that one turn. Again, we've come to double turns, but if you can, you can get a very good chance that those guys land completely obliterate a unit, stand on an objective and then obliterate something that's what would be the next most credible threat. Yeah, but it buffs the ship as well. Like, the thing is, it's everything within three. So, as long as they're all firing at the same target. So, if you come out of an ironclad and you've got, you know, you could even fly the other ships near him, you know, so you've got, you could potentially have, like, two units of Thunderers, an ironclad, a frigate, and you know maybe a unit of shooting sky wardens all within range, and you just go in. You're in a really compact area, but you shoot all of that at one thing, re-rolling, it's gonna die. There, there is no yeah. question, it, it's gonna die. Um, unless it's a Star Trek mirror shield, but anyway, um, <laughs> and that never dies. No, well, even against the Star Trek mirror shield, you know, it, it, if you've got a lot of Ren two shots that are hitting on fives or sixes, but you're re-rolling, it's you could do quite a lot of damage, especially if they're like damaged, you know, like you look at like drill cannons, you know, they've rend free, you know, damage free, get a couple of those through, it's, it's you know, that's going to do some hurt. Um, Having access to rend free is a real thing. It's not yeah. not that common, is it? No, exactly. And I, I think, I don't know, like for me, it's nice that there are other skyports that are kind of appealing for me as well. I think, I think that's quite a decent, quite a decent idea. I don't know. I'm trying to do yeah. something a little bit left field because I kind of, I don't want to go down the route that everyone seems to be going down, and that's like clown car and urbaz spam. But um, I think there's there's mileage in the dispel one as well. Yeah, there against is against certain yeah. armies. Like if you can shut down the magic phase of a change host. Yeah, I think like for that's... me the problem with that is it is against certain armies. Like and yeah. against other armies, it does nothing. Um, it does have the best colour scheme going for it, but you know that's uh... <laughs> and you can take the special character without feeling guilty. All these problems you don't have, right, Tom? Yeah, yeah. this is it. Yeah. Guilt? What? <laughs> yeah, what's that? Um but yeah, I think as as we sort of said earlier on, I think it's this is a really difficult army to decide how good it is on paper. Yeah, it is. Because yeah. 
the the entire playstyle of them is ship placement and concentrated fire, which is really difficult to I, sort of rationalize without playing games. I think as well, like when when I got the playtest through for it, and it was like, oh my god, this is so weird. Like the the it's it's it yeah it is is like completely unique in terms of how it how it plays. Um, and for me, like I really enjoy the um, the idea of this kind of like finesse, powerful but fragile army. It, it's it kind of, but not fragile if you know what I mean. But it's kind of it's like elite. You don't have a lot of stuff, so if you misplay something, it's going to cost you. Yeah, um, you know, like losing, like misplaying one of your units of like you know engine riggers and getting they getting killed like alpha strike is going to be a big deal definitely yeah okay. or not maybe not alpha strike in the right target for you when you when you use your 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 drop getting that drop wrong like you say it's kind of a bit all or nothing in it so yeah or waiting too long like yeah. if you if you're not in the opportunity to get the double turn there's only so many turns that you can wait for that like and i'd say that's probably one <laughs> yeah and I think the scenarios will force it as well. They'll force yeah. the issue, which is why the scenario plays so good. But um, yeah, I'm interested to see how you get on with them, and and we'll have some war stories, I imagine, from events when we're uh, we're trading our stories. So, uh, but yeah, definitely. I think. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Is there any units in there that you just you 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 like characters or anything that you're really excited about using, or is it just it's just literally just as a whole? Just chemists. No, I think <laughs> the whole thing's really good. Um, again, I've always said a lot with, with AOS, and maybe just because I've not played as many games, is a lot of the game now relies on knowing what your opponent can do, not what you can do. Yeah, there's because a lot, there's a lot of, of combos and things like that. So I think there's a massive advantage to playing a finesse army well in that if you've got the options to do things that people don't expect and they don't see coming, I think that makes a massive difference now. Because if, if you can manage to kill a key piece early where they didn't think you could, sometimes that's just irrecoverable. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think that's uh, that was always how I used to you like playing with my old Tomb Kings back in old edition because people didn't play them very often. So they got caught out quite a bit what they did because they're just not used to playing against them. And it's the same, really. It's knowledge is power in wargaming. You know, if you know what everything does, then you can, um, you know, you it just gives you a better, you make yeah. better decisions on the table, you know. Yeah, yeah definitely. Weaknesses or, um, and, and know fully that what can come back to you, essentially. And you have to know your army inside out and know what it can deal with. And, and knowing how your opponents, I think that's why I've started winning games of Stormcast now, is that I've played so many games that I'm pretty confident that I know the outcome before I put something into it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that, that's a big thing as well. So um, I think, unless there's anything else you want to say, Tom, I think that basically covers everything. No, I, think I have a question. For me. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh. Okay, so I've got a bug to crater up, and I want to know how this would work with the Battleshock thing. Right. Okay. Uh, in addition, players do not have to take Battleshock tests for any corn units within 18 inch of this model at the start of the Battleshock phase. Then, it, then you would then have, you'd to, have take them to take the Battleshock it. test because it's got it's a in, timing. It's immediate. 
because you the, oh. the battle shock from the air burster happens outside of the battle shock phase so the blood secret yep. ability doesn't protect you because it's it has a timing which hasn't happened yet so cool that's that's what i was thinking so that is i'm not sure if that's been tweaked anywhere that i've seen yet no, um, no that's a very I've, good point. i've not heard anybody mention about being able to split the shots as Ev- well everyone knows multiple. now I know. <laughs> You've told everyone now, Tom. You can edit this, can't you? I could edit it out, but then some of the other conversation might sound a bit weird when we. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, it's yeah, good, having the editing that you, you normally do, though, is it really? Editing, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> editing <the> time. <laughs> that's um, that's a really good option against corn being yeah, able to really make solid. them take bash up test like, but he's blood now suddenly panicking about his blood letters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Um. Oh, good! I might have to get some more uh, get some more artifacts in my army. <laughs> um, I think Urban's lets you take the second one, yeah. but if you've got the Iron Sky, you've got the second one anyway. You could have one on each Aethercarrier. Have three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you like the fry from uh, Futurama meme of him throwing money around. Just, <laughs> just win, win friends. <laughs> Just keep winning, yeah. friends. Hopefully we've not done the bone splitters here. Or if we have, if you follow the link to Element Games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> link in the show notes. Click on the banner. You know, it makes it's a sense. shame chemists are only £14 rather than a full boat, a full rock. I like the way yeah. you say only. Like, you know. Uh, I've, got, I've got free. I bought free. So, uh, Same. Yeah. They, was, they were like my instant purchase. Three of those. One of each other character. Then it was like four of everything, basically, apart from the ships. It was like four, four uh, sort of Skywarden boxes, four uh, Thunderer boxes, four Arcanaut boxes, and then it was just like two frigates, two Gun Hauler, one Ironclad. Job done. Done. Whole army. Not going to need anything more than that. Got everything yeah. I need. So uh, just got to build and paint it all now. Yeah, the only thing I can't see myself using is the gun hauler. No, I, I don't think so. But then a part of me wants to try it out and see if it, there's something cool about it. Um, yeah, I do quite like the, the only, idea of having the, like two of them and an ironclad and just making the ironclad almost unkillable. <laughs> yeah, Be- the uh, the only thing I was considering with the gun hauler is to buy one to use it as a gyrocopter for skirmish. Uh, you so can take a gyrocopter in the... skirmish. Yeah, gyrocopter and a gyro bomber. It's good. They're, they're a plastic kit, aren't they? That's yeah, that's how it's like seriously amazing. Uh, but that, they're actually not great when no, you look no, at the roots no, for them. No. But I think that's quite cool no. having the gyrocopter with the Endron riggers and things. It'd be quite a cool army to see one with like ships and then taking like gyrocopters and bombers as well so you've got like all these different you've got these five different ships all together RAF. yeah the, the, maybe there's a list there the raft dwarfs i don't think it'd be very good no if i'm honest but don't ruin uh, it so. don't ruin it sorry uh i was gonna try and convince everyone to go out and buy gyrocopters and bombers just ruin the <laughs> whole thing um right i think i think that's everything really we're gonna cover cool. um it's been a bit of a long show, but hopefully the uh, the hobby chat and the gaming chat's been been good for people. So we covered both bases. Yeah, tried to. Yeah, not but just not with like micro beads, uh, melted blister, green stuff, and water effects. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> just to build up. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
But yeah, but thank, thanks for coming on, Tom. And I think when the Six Nations is out of the way, and if I end up going to the doubles, then maybe we can uh, we can catch up with you after the Six Nations and talk some Nurgle because that would be quite a cool tangent for the show. Yeah, sounds good. Fantastic. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Bye. To make sure you don't miss out on any more hammer to your face, subscribe to us on iTunes, add our RSS feed to your reader, and follow us on Twitter at facehammer underscore. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to give us some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.